Yeah, yeah, it's a Thursday. Thank you for waking up with us. It is the wake-up call right here on The Fan. As always, broadcasting live from the DriveHubler.com studios. He's Kevin Bowen. I'm Andy Sweeney. Mark Dykton producing today's effort. Busy, busy show. More reaction uh, to Jonathan Taylor. We'll obviously dive in. IU football search. A couple names popping out and so much in between. The Pacers in Miami tonight. Boy, I'd love to be with the Pacers tonight in South Beach. KB, a very good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I am doing well on this Thursday morning. Yeah, it seems like we could be seeing some white smoke down in Bloomington today. Uh, (laughs) We'll certainly update you on that. Uh, Kurt Signetti, is that the most popular name that... That's be floating around. That's becoming the, the name. JMU. James, James Madison, head coach. Sounded like a little flight to Indy. Met with Scott Dolson for a couple hours. Uh, so we'll uh, let you more in on him. Uh, Zach Osman mentioned three finalists in general. Signetti, one of them. Paul Christ and Jason Candle, uh, the other. Candle from uh, Toledo. Paul Christ, of course, the old Wisconsin coach. So I'll update you on that. And obviously a busy day yesterday up at the Colts Complex with confirmation that Jonathan Taylor will indeed miss some time. Um, And boy, I saw Will Levis was limited on the injury report for Tennessee. And Teron Davenport, who we're going to have on a little later in the show, he tweeted out like a video clip of Levis at practice. It didn't look great at all, really. No, Levis looked like he was hobbling. Yeah, not great at all. No, it looks but, like someone else might be quarterback on Sunday. But I'm thinking to myself, if you're a Colts fan, wouldn't you rather face Levis than Ryan Tannehill? Oh, I'd rather face Levis 100% of the time. Now, Tannehill hasn't played since when, has been coming off the injuries, maybe hasn't prepared, you know, been preparing like he's the starting quarterback. But yeah, I mean, there's a video out there right now of Will Levis dropping back. Now, this was yesterday, so this was on a Wednesday. There's still time. There's still, you know, today, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday morning. But there's a video where he's dropping back, and Will Levis does not look healthy whatsoever. You know, if the game was today, he would be severely limited on that ankle. He looked like Matt Ryan from last year, (laughs) who, by the way, will be on the call coming up this Sunday. The line has shifted a little bit, I think, due to that Jonathan Taylor injury. The Colts still a slight favorite uh, in this one. But good Thursday morning to you. Thanks for spending it with us. I'm Kevin Bowen. He is Andy Sweeney, Mark Dykton. On the ones and twos, along with Teron Davenport. I am looking forward to our conversation coming up at 9 o'clock. Evan Wash from the NBA, uh, one of the creators of the in-season tournament. I feel like we've had a lot of questions about it, and he'll be the perfect person to just explain to us in a decently concise manner what exactly is the in-season tournament, how it was created, Uh, What have you liked about it? What have you sat there as a staff and thought, okay, this is fine for year one. We might need to make a change for year two. Those sorts of things, because as we know, the Pacers and Celtics coming up Monday for the quarterfinal game of the in-season tournament. Two in Miami, and then that on Monday. I've been laughing. uh, There's so many people nationally, they're whining and crying about the point differential. Like, it matters that much to them, but that has been a discussion, so we can ask him. And it's funny, Mark sent us a bio of Evan Wash, who will join us at 9 o'clock. He is the Executive Vice President uh, Basketball Strategy and Analytics. And, KB, I don't know if you read down about five or six paragraphs of his bio, and I don't know who you previously have had on the air with Jay Query, but I know since I've been with you, this is going to be the smartest guest we've ever had on the air. Do you understand? Yeah. Don't know how high <laughs> that bar is, but yes, without question, I would say the most intelligent human being we have had 
on the show. So looking forward to that conversation coming up at 9 o'clock. Yeah, whenever you see an MIT just thrown oh, in there, yeah. you know that uh, he probably doesn't do a lot of sports radio interviews. And when it's five lines down, it's like, this isn't the most impressive thing about it. I could just throw an acronym there for the university and hopefully people will think. You really uh, should. Does JMU have the same sort of clout as MIT? <laughs> oh boy, yeah. So IU stuff, we'll dive into that as well. I think it's worth asking, and I was going to ask you the question, uh, since you got to that, that, that Levis stuff, I do want to dive into a couple different just numbers. I mean, they have not been had the Tennessee Titans good this season, and they've had one good game with Will Levis, and his numbers have not been good. And by the way, Derrick Henry's numbers with Will Levis. We talk so much around here about, well, how is Zach Moss or even Jonathan Taylor, but especially Moss being the leading running back on Sunday. How have his numbers been when you don't have the dual threat of a guy like Anthony Richardson? Uh, the Derrick Henry numbers are not impressive with Will Will Levis. So that very much, you had a game or two, that's hit a wall, now he's hobbling. So I think there's some absolute questions there. Uh, I wanted to ask you a question right out the jump. Let's play clip four here, Mark. Here's Shane Steichen yesterday. Let's throw it out there. The first time he's spoken about the injury to Jonathan Taylor. I'll start off, obviously you guys heard the news about JT. Um, We found out he sustained an injury to his thumb uh, after the game um, Monday evening. Um, He's going to have a surgery done on it, um, how much time uh, it will be, uh, not exactly sure, um, but we'll see how the rehab process goes, and hopefully we'll have him back sooner than later. Two things I wanted to throw your way with this conversation, and it's a conversation we'll keep having. Will Carroll, we had him on yesterday, our injury expert. We'll dive into that here in about a half an hour. Two things. Number one, listening to the few times that he talked about Jonathan Taylor yesterday, I know that Steichen has a very even-keeled voice. You saw him up close, okay? I just felt like Steichen was kind of down about the entire Jonathan Taylor injury. I just thought he sounded a little bit more downtrodden than the normal injury. And then I think it's worth diving into here, and I thought about it overnight, like how much do we think, it's, it's our opinion, how much do we think that the Jonathan Taylor injury is going to affect the playoff chances. It's a matter of how much. It's not a matter of if. It's absolutely the percentages change when he isn't in. And I think what I rested at today, KB, is they can win the next two. Now, I think the Titans game becomes a little trickier for some reason just because of Jake Browning. I I don't know. The Bengals, to me, are a mess right now, but they still have elite talent on the outside. To me, I look at it, I say, it changes the most probably Sunday, and it changes, in my mind, that Pittsburgh Steeler game. To me, the Steeler game now becomes a much less winnable game without Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. And we know Gardner Minshew is going to have to play a little bit better. Other guys are going to play a little bit better. And so that's where we start this morning. In your mind, the effect that Taylor's injury has is what? And what did you think of Steichen's words yesterday? Yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> I didn't read as much into Steichen's emotions. I I, I, I don't know how else to describe it, maybe as you did. I I tend to think when Shane Steichen gets asked about injuries, he sounds like me in seventh grade talking to my parents about girls. Like, it it just, he gets this very, very low octave, and it's like, hey, is Juju Brent's going to practice today? I don't know. We'll see. And I'm like, oh, gee. 
Jeez, they just, you know, they're going to go out with to those practice. those conversations, they're, seventh grade? They're going to go out to Ugh. practice in 90 minutes. Like, you know, either he's practicing or he's not here. It's The octave is very different than it's like, hey, Shane, you know, give us your thoughts on DeAndre Hopkins. Well, right. he's a great player. You know, he's been in the league for a long time, blah, 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 this and that. Um, so I, I don't know if I'd read too much into that. I did think, I guess, before I get into kind of Taylor, you know, playoff impact, Sunday impact, et cetera, et cetera. This is what we found out about Jonathan Taylor yesterday. He's going to miss time. It is a right-hand injury, and basically the reason why you can't just bandage it up or wrap it up or everyone describe it is uh, the Colts felt like he would be a potential liability out there in handling the ball, ball security, and pass protection. And I think that should probably put to rest, Andy, the, the audience out there is like, oh, just wrap it up. You imagine the first time Jonathan Taylor went out there and fumbled? And how irate people would be about him playing with some sort of thumb, hand injury. And again, when we had Will Carroll on yesterday, Andy, and we can play that clip again, he was, I would say, a little bit more on the, I think two to three weeks is aggressive from a timeline standpoint. We'll play that clip here in a bit. As far as Taylor and the impact on the Colts for the next few weeks, again, running back is a replaceable position. That is certainly true. Zach Moss has probably been a good example of that. But it would be naive to act like This is just an apples to apples. You plug in one, you plug in the other, and there's no drop-off. And let's go back two games ago. Go back to New England. You're in Germany. The first drive of the game, Colts go march all the way down the field. They encounter a fourth and goal. And on that play, it is an incredible individual effort by Jonathan Taylor to get to the outside, keep his balance, Kylan Granson certainly helped him out there in staying alive for another block. And Taylor gets into the end zone on that play where, and again, this might be a disservice to Zach Moss. If that's Moss, I'm not sure if you punch that in. And let's just play out that scenario. If you don't punch it in, Andy, that's seven points off the board in a game that was 10 to six as a final score against the Patriots. Not, you know, some vaunted opponent by any means. So when you look at Tennessee, when you look at even a Cincinnati that clearly has some issues right now, and obviously when you look at Pittsburgh three weeks out, if we're talking about a bunch of one-possession games, which I think right now you would vote and say those are likely to be one-possession games, the presence of a Taylor on a fourth and goal, uh, turning a three-yard gain into a 13-yard gain, uh, do you settle for a field goal here instead of converting it into a touchdown? Those are monumental plays in a game. So certainly it lessens the chance. Do I sit here and all of a sudden think the season is over? No. By no means do I do I think that at all. Because again, I, I think these opponents and the presence of Zach Moss is at least something um, that doesn't cause a massive drop-off. But again, it would be such a discredit to Taylor to act like not a lot has changed. Vegas, in Vegas' eyes for what it's worth, They've gone from two-and-a-half-point favorite for the Colts, and that has now dropped down to one-point favorite with this Taylor news. Uh, I was laughing yesterday. I was listening to uh, Jake and Jimmy, and I think Jake said something that was exactly right. Uh, I, I, you know, I was smiling because we did all of this Jonathan Taylor ringing, gnashing of teeth, and everything else, didn't we, before the season? And then, you know, Zach Moss comes out there. Well, first of all, let me go back. We did all the Jonathan Taylor t- stuff, and then so many people were like, well, you know, it's a running back, Kevin. You know, it's a running back. You know, you can, you can go get a running back like you've said. In day three or whatever it may be and then Jonathan Taylor you know doesn't you know you get mad at him because he's not playing the first four games and there's a contract dispute 
food and he's on IR and everything else. And then you sign him and then all the people that said, well, you know, you can get a running back anywhere. They get all excited because you signed Jonathan Taylor and what that means for the team. It means obviously a lot for the team. And then he starts to play well and you're cheering Jonathan Taylor on and then he gets injured. And then so many of those people, like you just said, go back and they say, well, you have Zach Moss, right? I mean, you can throw in Zach Moss and we can't have it both ways. And that's the reality for me of the Jonathan Taylor situation is Zach Moss is a good player. He is a quality player, but he's not Jonathan Taylor. And then to kind of equate it to the Pacers, you do remember a couple days ago when Tyrese Halliburton was like, we've lost some games at home. We should have 13 wins. Remember that sound? And he's like, we'll go on the road and we'll make up for those games. I don't believe in that. I believe you want to win the easy games against the Bulls and the Blazers and those sorts of teams and the Hornets, and you want to be able to go on the road or even at home like a team like Milwaukee and beat a quality team. That's how I feel about JT and Zach Moss. You want both of those guys. And for the Colts, their margin for error the next two games Three games, four games goes down, and it goes down quite a bit. And to me, that Pittsburgh game is probably the one that I feel the least confident about. Listen, Tennessee is not a good team. If you look at Tennessee right now... Do you believe they're good at home? I believe... I I don't know why they're good at home. Does that make sense? They're 4-0 in the year at home. They are good at home. 0-7 away from home. They score more at home. I don't know why that is the case, but if you just look at it, you know, since Levis took over... Derrick Henry's averaging 3.8 yards per carry, 62 yards a game, has just three touchdowns in five games. It's not like they've turned it over to the rookie quarterback and boom, they've relied on Derrick Henry. And uh, Hopkins has been very quiet yeah, too. He yeah. had the big game back in week five against the Colts. He's been really it, it, much quieter Again, with Levis. All of their stats with Levis are from that Atlanta game. That Atlanta game has skewed everything. Which if you watch with that Will game, Levis. that was a lot of it's a 500 ball down the field and they caught like three of them. So that's where, I mean, that's where, that's where we are right now. I mean, to me, it changes it. Vegas, I'm still leaning on picking the Colts, but I tell you, you know, we've done so much around the Pacers. We've done so much around the injury itself. You know, this game, this is the odds, the Titans again. It's the Colts and Titans. We talked about this back in, what was it, week five, I think you mentioned. And now we sit here in week 13, and this game means so much to Indianapolis. And like you mentioned, Vegas has it as a one-point game. Yeah, you bullied them in week five. I I would say I'm a little afraid that the key personnel that helped you bully them in week five has changed. The Grover Stewart presence, to hear Tart for the Titans, is back in the lineup. Again, no Richardson and Taylor. I mean, that obviously impacts from a run game standpoint, even though Taylor had a really quiet game. Um, And I don't know, maybe there's just a little bit of like past history still in my brain with Tennessee. Like they had one five in a row before that week week five matchup. And again, that's a game that could have gone either way. You know, Henry has the fourth and one with seven minutes to go inside the 10. If Tennessee converts that, they probably win the game at that point there. So... Um, we'll see. I, I I think the line right now is pretty fitting in terms of you know a, a slight favorite to the Colts in that one. All right, we'll get you set for tonight again in South Beach. The Pacers seven thirty tip. Uh, we did get an update yesterday on Jalen Smith. It looked pretty bad the other night. He is not with the team in Miami. So. Um, <laughs> bone <guy. laughs> bruise and left heel contusion was the official update from the Pacers yesterday. 
Um, so he will not make the trip. And then I also saw in the injury report, Isaiah Jackson, questionable with an upper respiratory illness. So uh, not the first person, I guess, to descend upon Miami and all of a sudden have that happen to well, you them. You feel bad for Jalen Smith, don't you? Uh, yeah, get him he, he misses that. Well, yeah, well, he misses the road trip that you want out of all the road trips. There this are is the road benefits trip. to not being in Miami. There are. You're going to have your health moving forward for a few uh, months. <laughs> but if all of a sudden Isaiah Jackson can't play, hello Oscar Sheboy. Hello Jarris Walker. I mean, it's Miles Turner and then who? Um, so Bam Adebayo and company have to like seeing that. Jimmy Butler is questionable for tonight. The Heat's still a slight favorite in that one, and a big one at Hinkle Fieldhouse at 6.30. We gave away some tickets yesterday to that one. Butler is a small favorite over Texas Tech tonight, as you'll get a 6.30 tip coming up from Hinkle. A lot to get to on the Colts' front. Interesting injury report, not only here in Indy, but also in Tennessee from yesterday. Again, a look at the playoffs. I, I I think it's time that this becomes kind of a weekly occurrence. We start to look at the playoff standings and where things stand for the Colts and the impact of these games upcoming. We'll do that as well. And again, it sounds like three finalists for the head coaching job in Bloomington. We'll continue to update you on that end if there is anything to share here on this Thursday morning. Thank you for spending it with us. It is the wake-up call on this final day of November. I'm Kevin Bowen, Andy Sweeney, Mark Dykton with you as well on 93.5107.5 The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Yeah, your morning check down reminder. Scott Agnes going to join us at about 8.30. JT, how long will be out? We'll see. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Time will tell. But for now, it's all up to Zach Moss. He's back being the starter here. Shane Steichen yesterday on his now starting running back. He's very nimble. Like when he's going through, he's very patient. He sees it. He presses the holes. And then when he does get out in space, he's able to break tackles and create those explosives, uh, which is awesome to see. And he's been awesome for us all year. Uh, and obviously excited for him, you know, these next, you know, however long. You know, uh, if you think about it, Andy, you've looked back on that New England game. Zach Moss had one carry in that game. So in a way, it's almost been two straight bye weeks for him leading into Sunday. And I asked Moss yesterday, I was like, all right, I, feel free to rip me for this, but I thought you looked fresher. Like, I, I thought he looked a little spry, a little different on Sunday, and he kind of nodded his head and, you know, pointed to Shane's done a lot of these walkthroughs late in the year for that. But I am curious, like, just one carry against New England, the bye week after that, you know, does Zach Moss look a little different? Because I, I thought the eight carries for 55 yards, that number obviously sticks out to you against Tampa, but I thought he looked really, really good. Was it the Carolina game where he was on the injury report? Do you remember? He was on the injury He's report. He's been on it a couple, couple times days. this season. Heel, I think, an ankle at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's played, I think he's played in every game, but I. I I don't think he's missed any. Uh, by the way, uh, elsewhere on that injury report yesterday, uh, the did not participate. And again, just a walkthrough for the Colts. Juju Brent's absence continued. We'll see if he practices today. If he doesn't practice today, of course, go ahead and pencil that in for a fifth straight missed game for him. Isaiah McKenzie with a toe injury. Tennessee had all 53 guys practice yesterday, but again, Will Levis was limited with an ankle. To Ron Davenport from ESPN covers the Titans. He's going to join us a little bit later today. If you see a quarterback practice on a Wednesday... That usually means he's going to play in the game, but the video that Teron Davenport put out there of Will Levis moving, hell, Andy, looked like 
me. Well, that's one of the reasons why teams hate when they when videos put out of their. I mean, we would have never known. We would have seen limited with an ankle, and we would have blown it off and thought, "Oh, that's fine." They're yeah. just putting it on the practice report, whatever it is. But no, nah, I mean, he's he looked extremely hobbled. By the way, just to bring it up, I, I know it's not a thing you can really press the coaching staff on and everything else. I mean, Juju Brents has been out for a month and a half. I asked Shane the question yesterday. It's now a month yeah. and a half officially, like today. Yeah, he's getting closer. I believe that pretty much summarizes what Shane Steichen had to say about Juju Brent. And that's a bummer in the short term and in the long term, obviously, with his development. All right, tonight you've got the Pacers in South Beach to take on the Miami Heat. Again, a slight underdog in this one. It'll be two games in Miami in three nights. So certainly pray for the Pacers off the floor here as well. I Obviously, Andy goes without saying, you're very curious to see how they bounce back from such a dud of a performance on Monday. Uh, Jalen Smith did not make the trip down there. Isaiah Jackson is also questionable. So this is a game where your front court depth could be tested. Now, the good news is, I don't think Miami, it's not like Miami has an Embiid. Bam Adebayo is a great player, great player. But, you know, what is he, 6'9", 6'10"? You know, it, it's not like he is some menacing 7-2, 270-pounder. Um, and Jimmy Butler is questionable for this one. Butler did not play on Tuesday with an ankle injury against the Bucks, um, so we will continue to monitor that throughout the day. He's not even in my <laughs> I'm is, I'm interested. Oscar Shibway, you know, I covered him sure. at, at Kentucky. I am really interested to see what happens with him because I, I, I have not thought, you know, he is a rebounding machine. But last year, even in the college game, was so bad defensively that teams were really taking advantage of him defensively. And so as much as, you know, he would put up these monster games in college, I mean, he put up these 2020 games in college, Kevin, there were a huge segment of the fan base at Kentucky that was happy to see him move on because they could, you know, they could defend a little bit better better and sometimes with him the ball kind of stopped with him right in college and so I'm interested to see if he has to play tonight you know you talk about Bam Adebayo being like 6'10 and not be a menacing 7'2 like Oscar Shibwe is 6'6 maybe he's not a big guy I think part of the reason why he went undrafted um, to me, Andy, it is one of those nights where when Bam goes to the bench, Miles Turner goes to the bench, sure. and when Turner's or when Bam's on the floor, Turner's on the floor. Turner's on the floor, got right? To stay out of foul trouble. One NBA no- note: Jalen Hood Shafino, the Indiana product, his first NBA points last night. He has dealt with a knee injury for about the first month of his NBA season. Man, good for him. Did not score in his debut on Monday, but he had ten points in eleven minutes last night. Uh, quickly, Battle for Atlantis. Did you see this? Indiana going to be a part of that next year. Arizona, Crane, Davidson, Gonzaga, Indiana, Louisville, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. So the non-con schedule continues to come together for Mike Woodson. It's something he's done the last few years. I give him credit for, and that's yet another pretty good field. Again, still have Auburn and Kansas yeah. on the slate here coming up in December. Auburn will be a neutral site game at Atlanta. The Kansas game will be at home at Assembly Hall. A couple other items for tonight. Again, college basketball at Hinkle Butler. It'll be a blue out at Hinkle tonight. Nice. A slight favorite over 5-1 and one Texas Tech. These two teams, I told the story a few weeks back when uh, Bob Knight's passing happened of Micah Shrewsbury sharing how they played Texas Tech back in the Great Alaska Shootout uh, when uh, they were at Butler and how cool it was for a bunch of Indiana dudes on the Butler staff to go against Bob Knight. These teams played in the tournament 
NCAA tournament back in 2016 as well. Butler winning both of those matchups. So a big one tonight at Hinkle. And then Thursday night football. It is interesting to look at the NFC standings. And this is fifth and sixth in the playoff picture. I mean, these two teams are right next to each other in Dallas and Seattle. And yet you've got the Cowboys as a nine-point favorite in this one. Like, I think Dallas blows them out. I was going to say, there's probably a good amount of people that honestly view this as Seattle might be out of the playoffs. Oh, Seattle's ruining their season right now. Yeah, I think Dallas controls this game. I'd be be stunned if Geno Smith won this game on the road in Dallas. Stunned. Yeah, it is in Dallas. Again, for the Cowboys, it's not like they're... I guess they still have that outside shot to win the NFC East, but for the most part, we kind of know Dallas is going to be the five seed. They'll travel to take on that NFC South champ in the first round of the playoffs. What the hell is that? But uh, I thought that was Siri again talking there. It was not Siri. My watch is off. I've learned my lesson. I'm Uh, coachable. I think that pretty much covers everything. (laughs) Oh, no. You're bearing the lead, Kevin. Your Reds are are making moves. Oh, they made a move. They signed a pitcher, I saw. Nick Martinez. Not a closer, but a reliever. (laughs) Two years, $26 million. They they signed a reliever as well. They signed uh, Emilio Pagan to a one-year $8 million contract. So there you go. You're making some moves. Just... You know, still have the money set aside for Shohei, I'm sure. Well, I hate I hated to do this, but the poor Mark guy. Mark as a Cubs fan talks a lot of trash. He does. I'm not talking trash. I think those are good moves. You need to shore up your bullpen and you shore up your starting pitcher. This pitcher the last six years is 27 and 38. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, relievers, win-loss record can get a little skewy there. I, I, I do have to say this. Shaquille Leonard, we saw visiting Philadelphia yesterday. The fanfare for the Shaquille Leonard visits, it's almost like these towns are acting like Lawrence Taylor is coming to visit. Well, they, I mean, do they think it's four years ago? I have a buddy who's a Bills fan. He's like, hey, man, what about Leonard? These Bills fans all want Leonard. And I'm we like, got you pictures. know he couldn't play here, right? We got pictures of Shaq Leonard at the Philly airport yesterday. I'm like, is this Jimbo Fisher? Well, like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, again, I, I know there's no way for me to say that. It doesn't sound harsh, which I guess a that's the reality lover. of it. But I'm like, living a little bit of reality. Like, the Colts, and I don't think we look at the Colts as a championship-level defense. They cut the dude. I mean, like, so, yeah. I, I think it's people just outside of the local area just don't know. So they see the ter- they, they see yeah. the terms all-pro linebacker, yeah. and they think, ooh. Because, I mean, I remember when the Bears were shopping the first overall pick, people were like, trade to the Colts and get Quentin Nelson. I'm like, Quentin Nelson's having a terrible year. <laughs> and, like, everybody's like, we want Quentin Nelson. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if you yeah, do. I think Mark's right. I think the rest of the fans of all these fan bases aren't paying attention, and they're thinking of Shaq Leonard, the name, and they're thinking of three, four, five, six years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what it is. And even the Eagles media, like, yeah, let's show up to the Philly airport and get a picture of Shaq on the tarmac, but whatever. Um, All right, uh, on the other side, again, we'll get back into that Colts conversation, the playoff picture. There is one key element to the Colts in the playoff standings right now that is definitely in their favor. We haven't really talked about it a whole lot, but could be really key for them down the stretch. So we'll hit on that in the latest on Jonathan Taylor. Will the Colts make a running back move? Toss that question to Shane Steichen. We'll give you that coming up on the other side. Good Thursday morning to you. Thanks for spending it with us. It is the Wake Up Call. KB and Andy right here on 93.5-107.5 The Fan. Man, I got to be completely honest. What song is this, Mark? I have no idea so what this, this is. This was the number one song on my Spotify rap. <laughs> okay. It is Jack Black. Oh, wow. Singing Peaches from the Super Mario Brothers movie. 
Apparently, I listened to it 108 times this year, <laughs> and that was all because all three of my daughters were obsessed with the Super Mario Brothers movie when it came out in like April. So for about three weeks straight, every time we're in the car, play Peaches, play Peaches, play Peaches. So I did, and apparently my Spotify rap says, that was your best song of all of 2023. I'm like, my God, that was like a three-week stretch, and... Played right, the hell out of right, it. There's two things, okay, because that's what I thought it was. What was the was it a president of the United States of America? The Peaches for Me song, like 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. I know uh-huh. you. I know you'll remember that one. I'm not and sure lumped. if Kevin will. Lo- yes, exactly. That's it. So that's number one. And number two, I always find out this time of year how many people use Spotify. Am I the only one that's using Apple Music over uh, here? We are Spotify. Mark Dykton, to echo what you just said, I'm still standing from. Sing to the most okay. played song for Kevin wow. Bowen in 2023, and I can hear Rosie Bowen yelling to play it again <laughs> in my ear right yeah. now. My top genre was movie tunes, and I'm like, yeah, that checks out with Peaches and all Frozen. the Disney, all the Disney songs and all that stuff. Like, yeah, that makes a yeah, lot. Yeah, I saw of a sense. couple buddies who just had Frozen, like uh, you know, songs that I, I guess at some point I'll learn. I have no idea. I think Frozen was in Indianapolis, wasn't it? Like two yeah, the weekends Broadway ago. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rosie went. Oh, did did uh-huh. they go? Okay, yeah. well that's a good time. Her grandma took her. It was great. Well, there you go. So you didn't have to go. No, even better. Look at that. Even better. She got to go and enjoy that, and you didn't have to go. Uh, Welcome back. Wake up call here on this Thursday. Scott Agnes going to join us 830. Back end of the show. Teron Davenport. We'll talk some Titans football with him. We teased before the break, and you have a piece up right now at 1075thefan.com about playoff chances. You know, it's really difficult. I just did a quick Google search during the break, and a New York Times article, and again, I don't know what formula that they use. They have the Colts with a 42% chance of making the postseason. Again, I'm not exactly sure how their formula works. And now, of course, the Jonathan Taylor injury, uh, what that will do for the next couple weeks, we shall see. When you look at it right now, it's all in front of the Colts. Six games to go. Uh, having the seven seed right now. Having a big win. You know, that win, what was it, week two over the Texans is looming so big given that the Texans are right there with you. When you look at where the Colts are, KB, what interests you the most right now as we head into the final six games? Yeah, I, I would say the thing that stands out to me right now about the Colts and they are in a nice playoff position comes down to the fact that right now they have have the best conference record tiebreaker of any of the teams um, at their mark. They're currently seventh in the playoff standings or below them. And that's a key tiebreaker when you're talking about teams that you don't play during the year. So, for example, you brought up Houston earlier. That tiebreaker will be decided by head-to-head, simply. Uh, You play Pittsburgh in a few weeks. That tiebreaker will be head-to-head, of course. Right now, the Colts are a game back of Cleveland. If they were tied with Cleveland, Cleveland would be above them because of head-to-head tiebreaker. But when you look at teams like Denver, Andy, or Buffalo, you don't play them this year. So if you're tied with them at the end of the year, it will come down to the conference record tiebreaker. And currently, the Colts are 4-3 and in the AFC games that they have played this season. If you look at Denver... They're three and four. If you look at Buffalo, Buffalo is three and five mm-hmm. in the AFC. So that's a little nerdy to look at. Yeah, but I think Buffalo's done. I hate to interrupt you. I just think Buffalo's done. Their remaining schedule, they've given away two, three games that they feel like they could have won. I, I think Buffalo's done. You I know, really do. 
it's funny you say that because if you were going to ask some of the current teams in the playoffs who would you not want to play, you would say Buffalo first. Agreed. So they have the quarterback that can get on a run. thousand percent. It's just they have the toughest schedule here down the stretch. So, you know, when you look ahead to Sunday, it's Houston against Denver. So no matter what, one of those teams right now is going to win that game, of course. And if the Colts beat Tennessee... All of a sudden, let's say it's Denver. So Denver beats Houston. They who, go to seven who, and five. Who be rooting for in that game? By, by the way, I would think you would want Houston to take care of Denver, kind of push them further away. That's the way I see it. Because you're going to get a chance to sweep the season series with Houston in the season finale, get a game up on them, obviously, and have the head-to-head tiebreaker. That's how I view it. Some people might counter and say, "No, Houston's more potent with Stroud. Uh, I would rather see them lose." Uh, but let's just play it out. Denver wins. You win. You're both 7-5 and five going into the next week. The reason why the Colts would be ahead of Denver is because of that conference tiebreaker. So I would say two big advantages for the Colts down the stretch. One is a manageable schedule, and two is the fact that they are 4-3 and three right now in the AFC. So that'll be something to continue to watch here over the final few weeks. But right now, that is, I think, a reason why uh, Colts fans should feel optimistic about where they stand in the playoffs. I wanted to ask you this, and listen, this is, you know, it's not one of those things we want to take a bunch of calls on or anything like that, but I'm just interested in the dynamic with the Colts this season, the roller coaster that's been this season, KB, of, you know, we walked into this year kind of conditioned, not kind of conditioned, very much conditioned that the win-loss wasn't the most important thing. And we even talked about this a little bit last week going into, um, who did they play last week? Goodness, who did the Colts play? Tampa. Uh, the Tampa Bay. We did a little bit of this off the bye week that everyone's been conditioned, I feel like, that the wins didn't matter. And then, you know, even going back to the beginning of the season with that Baltimore game, it became, wait a minute, the wins do matter. And then the objective of the season was Anthony Richardson and the quarterback, and we know that. And then that went away so very early in the first month or so of the season that you then thought, again, this is the dip in the roller coaster, then you thought, well, well, it's... It's, it's over, right? I mean, Gardner Minshew is fine. Uh, Gardner Minshew is going to be able to win some games. and But let's be honest, it's not going to be very much. And then that kind of, not kind of, it did. It came to fruition when he became the full-time starter, lost to Jacksonville, lost at home to Cleveland, lost at home to the Saints. And so at that point, I mean, I, I, I felt very much when you're looking at the team, they're what, three and five, and then, okay, maybe it's not about wins, maybe it's about the draft position, and then you have these three very manageable games, Carolina, New England, and Tampa Bay, you win those games, and I think the win Sunday in Lucas Oil was what was a big one just because you know Tampa Bay is not a great team but they're a hell of a lot better than the Panthers and the Patriots I mean they're they're in a different stratosphere they've you know they have different better quarterbacks and you know better coaching they have Mike Evans they have all these different things and so now you know now it's about okay it's a playoff push and then JT goes down and that's another gut punch because it absolutely affects you in some way and so it's a playoff push I, I guess here's the thing we talked about it yesterday there's a chance here 
the Colts end up a little bit in draft purgatory to where they're not going to be taking in the top 10 and they're not going to be making the playoffs either. But I, I just, and I don't know, like, does that make sense? I, I'm trying to figure out where the psyche of the fan base is. I'm trying to figure out, like, kind of what the what this season is going to be if they just miss out on the playoffs and they don't have that high pick. But they showed a young team a ton of resiliency, and I would have to think that matters for something. You learn that Shane Steichen is not some bum coach who's going to go out there and win three or four games this season. And to me, you know, coaching, resiliency, some of these defensive line guys, the offensive line bouncing back to a certain extent, what, what do you think will be kind of on the grave of this team if they don't make the postseason? Obviously, if they make the postseason, we know how that's going to be celebrated around here. But I do remember you saying, I think you used the New York Giants as an example of what good did it do them to make the playoffs and win a game and sign all these guys and then come back the next year and be a terrible team? Like, I'm just trying to figure out what do Colts fans want here the final six games of the season? Do you believe in establishing like a winning culture? I do, yeah. And I, that's what I believe the next six games are. That's, so, that's my belief. What would then be the response to the Giants from last year? Well, I don't know what kind of culture they have. <laughs> right, but, but, I mean, theoretically, didn't they have kind of a – I mean, they, they had a winning season yeah, last year. They won a, they won a bunch year. of close games. So did the winning culture just evaporate? Like, I, I feel like establishing a winning culture – I can sit here right now and say this. I think fans should feel very encouraged about Shane Steichen. And I think pretty much no matter what happens the final six weeks of the year, I think I'm going to say that come mid-January or whenever the Colts season ends. I agree. But I do feel like the establishment of a winning culture – I don't know if I can like fully, fully get behind like that 1,000% being the belief. Again, the Jets had seven wins entering December last year. Your Giants, look at what they did last season. And I bring that up, and, and I guess you look back at the previous two eras of the Colts. Go back to Peyton Manning's first year or Andrew Luck's first year. Peyton Manning's first year, they win three games. What winning culture was established in a three-win football season? Did drafting Edron James four overall the next year help you establish a winning culture? Right. I would argue that established it pretty darn well. You look at Luck's first season, you win 11. They kind of had a Giants first year under Brian Dable. They won a bunch of close games. And then if you look at the Luck you know, era, yes, you continued to win those first couple of seasons, but then it slowly went the other way. And honestly, you could just point to horrific drafting after that first year as a big, big reason why that that arrow, I guess, did not continue to go up. So I tend to think there's probably a happy medium between the both of, yes, you want to establish a head coach you believe in and that the accountability is there and that it feels different. I think Shane Sykin has done that. But at the same time, just because the Colts go out and win whatever, 9 or 10 this season... I don't all of a sudden think that means you crown them for the next six to seven years. You're going to have to draft your ass off. Like mm. That's what you have to do. Right. Your quarterback's going to have to be healthy. You're not going to get away with this again. You're right. just not. Like that's The schedule next year is not going to have the NFC South on it. It's not going to have the fourth place teams that this year's schedule has on it. You've got the AFC East. I would say probably top to bottom. One of the better divisions in football. You're going to also have Again, better teams if you finish, whatever, second or third in the AFC South. Likely, I guess, second with where Jacksonville is, depending on how Houston finishes. So you're going to play better teams there. So I, I think that's where I'm kind of at. Is I think, te- I think fans right now, 
they want to see the playoff push, I guess, to mm-hmm. answer your question. At the end of the day, for me, it's very encouraging what Shane Steichen has shown you. I'm not sure if like winning unquestionably in year one all of a sudden guarantees that for the next four to five years, you're on this massive arrow pointing up because there's examples around the mm-hmm. NFL where... Each year is so different. I mean, you never thought Buffalo so, would be this. so different. Again, I yeah. mean, I think that Anthony Richardson is going to give you more chances to win and gives you more of a higher ceiling. But again, he still isn't start and finish the game. He's won yet. So, I mean, that is a bit of an unknown. I just come back to this. Y- you... You have got to back up draft after draft after draft. That's what the Manning era did. That's what the Luck era did not do. When you look at the Manning era and those first handful of seasons, not just Edger and James at four, whether it was Dwight Freeney a few years after that, whether it was Reggie Wayne, whether it was Dallas Clark, whether it was Bob Sanders, et cetera, et cetera. You sprinkle in a Robert Mathis in the fifth round. These are stars. I mean, these are star players. Where you look at the Luck era drafts, 2013 is beyond ugly when you look at it on paper. 2014 ain't much better, and it's got the Trent Richardson trade thrown in there with losing that first-round pick. 2015 doesn't look great. I mean, that's why you had an inability to sustain success in that era. Yeah, I just I just don't know because it's been such a roller coaster, right? It's it's like once you buy into one narrative, the narrative changes. It's easy to buy into. We, we want to get – I mean, we started this show together – we were talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. And now, did you happen to see who Dane Brugler had the Colts take at number 21? tackle, right? He had them go with Tyler Guyton, who's an offensive tackle from Oklahoma. There's a big difference in, you know, back in August, September, having the conversation, I guess August, of Marvin Harrison Jr. and sitting here on November 30th going into December with taking a tackle, and not the first tackle on the board, out of Oklahoma, a guy that we haven't mentioned. He may turn into a star, and, and, and you know, you know, God bless him. I have no idea who Tyler Guyton is. That's the reason I ask you. Is it's it's well, I remember you saying it when we first started. It's just a, it's just a very interesting situation for fans to be in. I think you can show that you are building a winning culture by not making the playoffs this year. But I think the majority of fans now have been like, hey, we're roped in. We're vested in this team. Especially after last year. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, exactly. We're not talking about who we're going to take at seven. I mean, we did a month ago Brock Bowers conversation here on the show. It's like, and so fans have been pulled in each direction. I am sure, and I don't know how big this is. I'm sure there is a group of fans that is like, if we win eight or nine games and we don't make the postseason, what good What good was it? I, and I don't totally, like, I understand that. I guess part of me agrees with that, but part of me also doesn't agree with that because Shane Steichen has shown you, hey, I am good enough even with with maybe not the best roster, with injuries all over, with all the Jonathan Taylor stuff, with not having, I mean, with having Gardner Minshew as the starting quarterback the majority of the season, even games that he didn't start, he played in. Uh, it's I, I don't know what the fans feel. To me, I think you can draft at 19 and still get a damn good player. Does right. that make well, sense? Well, that's, I mean, that's why the draft is such a crapshoot. Well, that's because, why Chris Bauer needs to do his job. Just because you're drafting at 8 doesn't guarantee you get the better player at 8 than you do at 19. Now, I, I, I you know, tend to think it opens up, you know, other ideas if you know how the board starts to fall. Again, I, I've always been a believer in the draft, and I felt this way about quarterback last year. I want to walk into the store and pick from the shelf. 
I don't want others to walk into the store before me and they decide what's left on the shelf. <laughs> right. You know, that's kind of my, right. and honestly, I think that's a big reason why Carolina did what they did to get up to one. Obviously, it doesn't look like it's worked out so far. And I think if Frank Reich had his druthers, it wouldn't have been Bryce Young. Um, I, I do think this one from Brett. Brett asked this, and maybe it's a little bit more of a big picture question. Uh, do you think, do you still draft a quarterback based on Richardson's health and the up and down year of Minshew? Maybe not first or second round, but maybe rounds three through five. I think I've come around on the draft opinion of this. And again, you've heard me talk about running back and my thought there. I almost think you draft a quarterback every single year around round five or six. I almost view the position as that darn important and the injuries that happen that are rather inevitable, especially if you have a dual threat type of guy at quarterback, that's where I'm probably at with with quarterback. And, and it, I don't I don't think I've always been there, Andy. Now again, Minshew's a free agent. Um, so I, I think that's where I'm at. I think every year in the draft, round five or six, you draft a dude, you're probably not going to benefit a whole lot from those picks on an annual basis. But the position means that much that I would do that. After the break, do you pay Zach Moss? That's a conversation we haven't had. And then the name or two that are starting to stick out with Indiana football, we can talk about that as well. Again, the Pacers in Miami tonight. The injury report does have some interesting storylines there, so we'll hit on that as well. 8 o'clock hour coming up on a nice Thursday here in Indianapolis. The wake-up call, KB and Andy on 93.5-1075, The Fan. I'd love to know who is on Gardner oh, Minshew's I do. fantasy I do. team. You guys want to take a stab at who Gardner Minshew's quarterbacks are on his fantasy oh, team? Oh, I see. So you know who's on uh-huh. the team? Yeah. Did you follow up with that? I did. Well, well that's I, journalism I was, right there. I was among those listening <laughs> in when Gardner revealed his quarterbacks, I should say. Uh, okay, so I think he I think he took Anthony Richardson, but he had to pivot elsewhere. Am he's I right pleased, on that? Let's just say this. Jalen Hurts. He's, he's been pleased with his two quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts. Uh, Gardner Minshew, Tua. he might have to actually bench one of his quarterbacks here come to end the season. He's got C.J. Stroud. Oh, does he? Oh, I don't know if I like that. And he's you got know, Jared Goff as well. That's does a, he that's really? That's a nice QB duo. It is. Okay. Can you imagine where those two's ADP average <laughs> draft position would have been? I, I, those two were not taken very high well, you at all. Taken the, you should have skewed the headlines. Gardner Minshew shuns former teammate Jalen Hurts, <laughs> drafts Jared Goff instead. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I, I did toss to Shane Sykin yesterday. Do you feel the need to add any other running backs? Because right. remember back the conversation we had in late August, Andy, when Zach Moss was out with that broken arm. It was, all right, What do you, is Kenyon Drake really the guy? And we saw what happened week one. Deion Jackson, Evan Hall. Remember Evan Hall? Fifth-round pick out of Northwestern. He gets hurt and done for the year in that season opener. Um, and Shane pretty much said that they are they feel good right now about what they've got. So what they've got is this for the next couple of weeks. Zach Moss back in bell cow mode. Trey Sermon is still on the 53-man roster, so I think you would slot him up in that backup. We haven't seen Sermon touch the ball really since kind of late September, early October. It's been a while. But again, former third-round pick. I think Big Ten fans will remember him at Ohio State. Uh, was with Shane Sackett in Philly for a brief period. And then on the practice squad, uh, they've got Tyler Goodson, who played at Iowa, has not played yet in the NFL. And then Xavier Scott, an undrafted free agent who I actually liked in small snippets in the offseason. He was a he, wide receiver, wasn't he? Yeah, made a position yeah. switch from uh, wide out to running back. Uh, I would assume one of those two will get the call up from the practice squad to be kind of the third emergency running back on Sunday. But um, I'll kind of echo what I said in the first hour, Andy, about Zach Moss. I thought he looked spry. I thought he looked fresh. 
against Tampa, eight carries for 55 yards. I, I thought he had some nice cuts, and I know he looked a little bit more. This is going to sound so stupid, but he looked a little bit more athletic, <laughs> just a little bit more agile, if you will. Um, well, and his body that, pro- probably feels better from carrying the ball, you know, 25 times for about a month straight. And, and again, he only had one carry against New England and then the bye week. So in a way, he's kind of had a couple bye weeks. So Zach Moss back to bell cow mode. And that's good for Gardner Minshew's fantasy. You know, I would say, yeah, I would say, by the way, Gardner, I hate to tell you, it hasn't been good all year. It was good for like a month when Zach Moss was at the very top of the league, scoring touchdowns, you know, the top of the league in rushing and everything else. I mean, I'll even go back to the Carolina game. You know, he only had seven touches in the Carolina game. So if you go Carolina with the seven carries, New England with the one carry, and then a bye week, it's not a full three weeks. But it's like two and a half, is it not? I mean, that's how I view it almost. I mean, seven carries for a guy who, you know, earlier in the season had 32 touches, 22 touches, I mean, how many did he have in that Baltimore game? Yeah, I mean, just in the Baltimore game, he had 32 touches, 30 rushes, and a couple catches. So, I mean, to me, no, they have balanced this with, you know, they were able to ride JT for those couple weeks, and then things changed on Sunday, and now they're going to go back to Zach Moss. You hope only two weeks, probably three or four, but you go go back to him at the end of the year if you're still in that contention you then have Jonathan Taylor to ride the rest of the way you know I teased up before the break there I just wanted to bring it up that yesterday, maybe even two days ago, we had the conversation when the Jonathan Taylor injury came out, KB, that that this offseason, you know, it's so predicated on on getting stars or getting a big free agent wide receiver or what's Chris Ballard going to do uh, during draft time and everything else. But, you know, you look at this season, the addition of Gardner Minshew, I mean, they could have went just about like, you know, if you look at probably, what, 29 of the 32 backup quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe that's a high number, maybe it's 27, whatever it is, you feel like you're not going to be able to be in playoff contention, right? I think that's a fair assumption going into December. If you're having to play your backup quarterback the majority of the season, what was it, 80 some odd passes by Anthony Richardson this year that, I mean, yeah, maybe for the Browns, you know, the Browns have been able to piece something together. Let's see what happens the final month and a half of the season or so. You know, you look at this team getting in the offseason, Gardner Minshew, you know, we said before the season, that's the only real move they made, and it's been a big move. And then you go back to last year, the move to get Zach Moss has paid off this year. And so Zach Moss is a free agent. We were talking off the air. It's like this offseason, whether you like it or not, because of football and because of Jonathan Taylor injury, and I think that's fair the last couple years to say that, and on top of it, because of the question mark around Anthony Richardson, that backup quarterback and that second running back who's not just a I hate to say this about Trey Sermon, but Trey Sermon being a backup, that's much different than Zach Moss yeah. being a backup in the NFL. And so, you know, I got looking at it. We agree that Moss is one of the better backup running backs in the league. I think you see that this season. Is is that a guy 
he and Minchu, are these guys we're going to talk about them signing in the offseason? I mean, Jamal Williams, I use him, who was in Detroit, had all those touchdowns two years ago in Detroit. You know, he's making about four mil a year. He signed a $12 million contract, Kevin. Uh, Gus Edwards making about three and a half mil a year. Zeke Elliott's making three mil. Now, I have the entire list here uh, of guys and what they're making. And so it looks like if you, you know, if you wanted to keep a guy like Zach Moss, you might have to pay him around four mil a year. It's way too early to probably have that conversation, but Moss and Minshew have been such a big deal to this team that no matter what, even if those guys go elsewhere and they get signed, you know, someone else is like, I want Zach Moss. He could play on my team and they give him a nice deal bigger than the Colts want to give him. They're still going to have to go out and get guys to fill those positions. Those positions and those pickups have been massive pickups and one reason why these teams are this team is six you know six games and could make the playoffs here in the next month and a half you know I can't think of the last time Andy the Colts will walk into an offseason and have as many notable free agents um, and honestly I wouldn't even put Minshew and Moss at one two or three on that list you know if you look at Michael Pittman Jr. you look at Grover Stewart you look at Kenny Moore I would say even Julian Blackman those are four mm. dudes right there that you would consider top five, top you know, maybe seven or eight free agents at their respective positions. So they're going to garner a really nice market. Um, I would say the question, honestly, more for Mo- Well, I guess you got a couple questions with Moss. Uh, undoubtedly, there would be reason to bring him back, and you just, I think, laid out some of the reasons why. The two questions I would have is this, Andy. One is, does Zach Moss want to be back? I mean, Zach Moss isn't an idiot. He just saw what Jonathan Taylor signed for. Um, you know, are, is seven carries a game mm-hmm. or whatever Moss is getting, it, does that satisfy what he wants? Right. Um, and then two, I would say what does kind of the market look like for him slash what do the Colts want moving forward? Let's start with the market for Moss. Andy, the running backs that are free agents next year, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, DeAndre Swift, Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry, Derek Henry, Austin yeah. Eckler. I mean, holy hell, that yeah. is a list of those running are, backs. Those are starting running backs that want to command well over 10, 11, 12, 13 mil a year. So Absolutely. how do teams view that? Do teams say, I'm not paying Saquon that much. I'm not paying Tony Pollard that much. If I can get Zach Moss at that price tag, I'll pay Moss that money. So that is one I'm really curious about. And then the other side of it would be, what do the Colts want moving forward out of their backup running back? And by that, I mean specifically, what skill set do they want? You know, I, I'm always a big believer, and that's why I thought the Josh Downs draft pick made so much sense, and it was a huge credit to Chris Boward and Reggie Wayne for agreeing on that and obviously seeing uh, what Zach Moss could or uh, what Josh Downs could offer. But I like to diversify the rooms. You know, uh, don't have a bunch of power forwards in the wideout room. To me, I look at running back, and I think the Colts have been searching for this, and the Naeem Hines thought mm-hmm. was that he would be that, but he never really, I think, fully turned into it. I like the shifty third down back. Totally agree. Like, when you watch Tennessee play on Sunday, you're going to see Tajay Spears as the, you know, uh, the guy that kind of fills in when Derrick Henry's not on the field, he's a much, much different, and frankly, everyone's different than Derrick Henry, but he is much more the speed, gadgety, just let him touch the ball, he can make a play in space type of guy. Is that what you want out of your backup? Because Moss isn't that. So I'm curious, does Shane Steichen kind of view the running back room and say, I'd like to get a little bit more of a 
receiving threat out of the backfield, a little bit more of a make-you-miss type of guy. Um, so that is something that I think uh, I am curious about. And I don't know, maybe Evan, maybe they view Evan Hall as that, the fifth-round pick from last year. Um, but certainly Moss bringing him back, it makes a lot of sense. It does. I just, here's the problem. I agree with you. You know, it's funny. Uh, it's like we're on the same wavelength here. I, I wrote down on my little sheet here, I wrote down, I would like to see them get somebody who can catch the ball out of the backfield. And that's what you're talking about. Whether it's a third down back or that's a, shifty, where I a shifty back or whatever it may be. The positive with that would be it's something that they've been chasing. It's something that they don't have. The problem with that is it's also if Jonathan Taylor misses time, and I, I listen, I hate doing this, but whether it's Jonathan Taylor or any other running back, don't you slot in the season that they're going to miss time? Don't you feel yeah. that way? I feel that way, and that's not against Jonathan Taylor. I just look at it and say, he's going to miss three games just because he's in a car wreck every single right, Sunday. because he plays running back in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, you, you see Jonathan Taylor here who has been back. He has a thumb injury yeah. that might cost him four that's games. Why it's, it's not a knee. It is insane what Derrick Henry continues to do. The sure. Fa- the fact that no, he could, I mean, he had the what the 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 one year of the foot injury, and that's it. I mean, Christian McCaffrey. It was such a last year, such a gamble. The Niners doing what they did because you know it'd been a couple years since Christian McCaffrey had been close to playing an entire season, and now he's got to the Niners, and he's obviously had more health. And I don't know, you might look at it and say a team like Philadelphia that Steichen came from, a team like the Miami Dolphins have been able to find these guys. I mean, Mostert's making two eight this year, guaranteed. Jeff Wilson's making three, uh, and the other guy they had there is a rookie, right? And so I mean, they're they're running back room, they're probably will be paying their running back room what seven eight mil in totality and they're one of the best offenses the other thing that goes into this conversation of why maybe it's a draftable guy and it's not moss is if you're paying on average 14 mil a year for Jonathan Taylor, and I just threw out the number of like four million, okay? And that might be too much, it might be too little, who knows? I just threw out three and a half, four mil. I just don't think there's a way that Chris Ballard's gonna put eighteen mil in a season into his running back. Hey, Do yeah. you? Well I, and that's the problem with Zach Moss. He's too good. And roster building one oh one would probably say that's the smart move. You don't invest yeah. that much money into that sort of position. Um, you know, and all of it is kind of very team specific. You brought up Miami. I mean, Miami has gone the way of we're going to invest in wideout like no other, and we'll patchwork running back. And they obviously have made that more than due uh, with where they are at. I do want to make sure we sneak in a little bit of IU football conversation, and I'll kind of set it up with this, Andy. Uh, should age matter? In the hire of the IU football head coach. Are you are you trying to make me an ageist? No, 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 no. no, no. I'm and, kidding. And, I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, and there's no way for, if you sit here and say age should matter, then obviously people are going to be like, oh, you are an ageist. But in the world of college football, right, with the rebuild that is certainly there in Bloomington, should age matter? I'll give you a cop out answer. I, I am very much a believer in when, whether it be Shane Steichen, you look at Miami, you look at you know Philadelphia, some of these some of these teams. Even if you go into college hiring young guys, 
I like it. I, I don't think now. I think Tommy Reese at 31 might have been pushing it a little bit if Indiana had interest there. I know that was just a name that was brought up. I mean, I guess I probably have a standard that maybe they need to be in their mid 30s. Uh, but I'm a believer that these young guys, whether it be college or the NFL, can run a program and can absolutely grow into it. With that being said, Indiana doesn't feel that way, do they? If they want a guy with coaching experience, you're hiring a guy who's in his 50s probably. So the name that has probably bubbled to the surface the most here over the last 24 hours, and again, credit to Zach Osterman from the Star. He's been all over this. Uh, He reported three finalists in Bloomington. Jason Candle from Toledo. Paul Chris, the ex-Wisconsin coach. And again, the name that I feel like we've heard the most from I heard it kind of secondhand, but it sounded like Indiana flew Kurt Signetti, the James Madison coach, to Indianapolis actually yesterday. Scott Dolson met with him for a couple hours here in the Circle City. What do you think they met? I'm always interested in these things, like uh, back room St. Elmo's, yeah. uh, a hotel room somewhere. Andy, Andy like, where Moore's they house. You know, I'm trying to think of the biggest <laughs> yeah. booster here. Steve Hankey, did he have a, a location to where this, this, uh, this meeting could have happened here? Uh, Kurt Signetti... And I was shocked once I looked at this because I, you know, we were down in, um, you know, Knoxville a few weeks ago, and that was when College Game Day was at James Madison. Sort of sitting in the hotel room, kind of recovering from the night before, and getting ready for Saturday, and we're watching Game Day, and that was at James Madison, and they brought Signetti up on stage. I could not believe when I looked at his age of sixty-two. I know, sixty-two years old. I bring that up because I would love to see any other kind of counter to this I cannot recall in recent history Andy and I say recent history because I think that matters in college football college football's changed a whole lot how many coaches in that age demographic have taken on a rebuild and rebuilt it and again there's no way to say that without people being like you're an ageist but I think that would be a question you would have if you look at the Signetti resume he's won now he's won at Elon and James Madison and Indiana University, Pennsylvania. Like it's not like he's won at this level. He's been on Nick Saban's staff. If you want to go back over a decade, he was a recruiting coordinator for Nick Saban. That you would think would be an attractive thing when you're talking about Bloomington. But those, I think, would be some of the questions. And I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be saying age this, age that. But again, find me in recent college football history. Maybe there are some names out there. But when you look at Saban and Ference and Mac Brown or some of the older coaches in college football, uh, you know, for the most part, Kyle Whittingham at Utah is kind of a similar age. Andy, they got the start of the rebuild 10, 15 years right, ago. Years ago, right. So that is a question I would have if I'm allowed to even say that. Uh, you're allowed to say that. You can say whatever you want. It's your show. Your name's on the show. I, I, I would I would add this to this to this entire conversation. What have you said all along about IU football? It needs juice. Can, can you can you be at least Which, Rutgers by the way, or Maryland? Kurt Signetti, you watch him in a press conference setting, you watch him in, hell, you watch him on college game day, you watch him with McAfee, there is juice. I think the answer would be to this, if they go with one of these younger guys, don't you feel like if the younger guy, they're, they're like there's a gamble. If you go with a guy like Mike Hart, let's use Mike Hart for an example. If you go with Mike Hart, and he doesn't, he brings in some of this energy that you're talking about, and he'd be good with NIL and boosters and that side of things, but he doesn't win. You went the opposite of Tom Allen, and the gamble is, can this guy run a program? 
right? I mean, like when I got hired here, you guys at least knew that I had been on the radio for 12 years, right? It's not like, well, he's never been on the radio. He's going to figure it out, right? He's been uh, with this company or that company. You weren't just Saturday is what you're saying? Figure out the radio. Like, you know this guy. Like, you don't know if Mike Hart... You know he can do some things, but you don't know if he can run a program and win games on game day. But if he won and he grew into the position, the flip side for Indiana fans would be he would use us as a stepping stone and he sure. would and he would move on. With a guy like Signetti. He rides off into the sunset here. Yeah, yeah, that he can get the program. The the gamble here would be yes, he's too old, but he can get the program back to solid footing, right? And, and you're talking about being a seven. I mean, what you're talking about is being seven and five, essentially, isn't it? When sure. you say go yeah. be Maryland or something, being a seven win team, he could at least do that. He has ran his own program. I think the question for me with him more than anything is. He hasn't had to deal with big-time NIL. And even if you went and got a guy from, even an assistant, whether it be the, you know, the guy from Ohio State, any of the guys from Michigan, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, I'm just making up a name, Tom Herman, who I hated to see fall off yesterday. I, wanted I actually to see wanted Tom Herman. Her- yeah, I would have backed Tom Herman here. Like, those guys, you feel confident that the NIL stuff is absolutely going to be on the forefront. They're going to know how to deal with it. I know Signetti can win games. I think, okay, that he can get Indiana back to what you're talking about. The biggest problem I would have with him is how much is he going to know about NIL? And that's and we don't know that. Now I saw JMU up close one time. I saw him last year and they were atrocious. It was their worst game of the year. So I don't want to judge a book by the cover, of, you know, by one bad game. I would say this. I would rather have Signetti than Paul Christ. Do you feel that way? Um, that's a good one. Yeah, I, because there's unknown that the unknown. Part of me wants to give Paul Christ a little benefit of the doubt of what did you learn at Texas? To me, Texas is so much different than Wisconsin. Well, and they're good. Yeah. And you know, he 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 he's with Steve Sarkeesian right now at Texas. Boy, you're you talk about eye opening experience and what college football looks like um, from an NIL standpoint, from recruiting in that state. Uh, obviously, the style of Texas football versus what Paul Christ had at Wisconsin. That is intriguing to me. That would be different than Signetti. Now, to be fair, and Zach Osterman, again, reported this earlier in the week, I mean, the $3 million that IU has already kind of upfronted this new coach from NIL money, and the fact that Signetti does have on his resume recruiting coordinator at Alabama and NC State. Now, granted, that was over a decade ago, but that strikes me as a dude that's not going to be Dan Mullen. He's not going to walk in the office and be like, uh, yeah, I don't want to recruit. I'm not going to recruit. Um, so I I just I don't see a lot of examples of coaches in his age group that have taken on a rebuild and have rebuilt it. Now, he might be different, and to be fair, it's not like the bar is super, super high. Just get to somewhat respectable. Again, Rutgers, Maryland. I'm not asking to be See, I think he can do that. Penn State or Michigan. I, I think he can do that. I think the gamble with him doing that is a lot less than Mike Hart. Does that make sense? And that's me I mean, that's me being unfair to Mike Hart because he hasn't ran a program. But the unknown like the unknown on these sorts of things when we don't know a, a lot about a guy, that can excite people 
But but it also can make an athletic director like Scott Dolson very nervous, right? Because he didn't know if Tom Allen was going to be able to run his own program, and he did an okay job. But ultimately, in the end, it did not work out. Like he's got to have a guy. We've always said high ceiling or a high floor. I think didn't one of your buddies text you that yesterday that some floor of these guys razor was how razor. he described Paul Chris. I, I, I think Scott Dolson is trying to hit a double or a triple more than a home run. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, he's just trying to get on base. He's trying to get on base. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get Indiana football to where it, to where it, it absolutely matters. That's how I've labeled the Chris Duarte draft pick of Kevin Pritchard. <laughs> he had drafted so poorly. He goes, oh, I'm going to take the 24-year-old God, in round one to just that. try. Uh, I wanted to bring up this as well. You mentioned the $3 million in NIL. Did you hear the Matt Rule sound yesterday? Uh, Indiana might need a little bit more. Matt Rule yesterday says, hey, you know, it might cost a mil and a half to get a quarterback in here. Make no mistake that a a good quarterback in the portal costs, you know, a million to a million five to two million dollars right now. So just, just, just on the same page, right? So um, <laughs> let's make sure we all understand what's happening. So, um, um, you know, there's some teams that have six, six or seven million dollar players playing for them. So, um, you know, we're, 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 uh, we just kind of believe in, we just kind of believe in doing things like the old school way, the hard way, building. But that doesn't mean we won't look at people in the portal. Doesn't I mean it's just we did it last year, right? It just means. All right, that's um, good. I, I just wanted the front end there because one and a half. I thought of that yesterday when that when that sound popped up, and Indiana's like, we have three million dollars, and I'm like, well, half of that might be going to a quarterback because now, that's the first thing they need is a quarterback to get to be a one and a half or two million dollar quarterback. That means that some program has committed to them when they weren't a one and a half or two million dollar quarterback. So I, you know, yeah. To Matt Rule's point, and trust me, Notre Dame plays the portal game at quarterback. Seemingly, they're going to play it again this wow. year. But again, there are some programs out there that are certainly trying to grow and develop in that position because obviously you have to have some pool for those guys to get there. Uh, Scott Agnes, by the way, joining us in five minutes. We'll continue to kind of update you on IU things related here as we move forward. Uh, before that, let's hit a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Yeah, let's give you some Shane Steichen sound from yesterday. Obviously, we know Jonathan Taylor is going to miss some time. First time the Colts have had to talk about it. Here's Steichen on his running back. I'll start off. Obviously, you guys heard the news about JT. Um, We found out he sustained an injury to his thumb uh, after the game um, Monday evening. Um, He's going to have a surgery done on it. Um, How much time uh, it will be, uh, not exactly sure. Um, but we'll see how the rehab process goes, and hopefully we'll have him back sooner than later. Yeah, the things we found out yesterday from Shane Steichen in regards to Jonathan Taylor, like you just said, going to miss time. It was the right hand, and basically the reason was um, they don't feel like they could wrap it up and he could play through it is liability and pass protection and uncertainty over ball security. Um, Doesn't sound like injured reserve is being discussed at all right now. Now, granted, the Colts have had guys miss more than four games this year, and they haven't put them on injured reserve, but still I would look at that as good news. And again, uh, it doesn't sound like they're going to be making a running back move here on the open market. By the way, Juju Brents did not participate in yesterday's walkthrough. Um, so, big day today for him. Ryan Kelly did, right? Again? Ryan Kelly did, yeah. Ryan Kelly was full. It's a third straight week, yesterday, hasn't he? So been we, active during the week and then not active on Sunday. Right. We'll see if he can progress through concussion protocol. And again, we'll have Teron Davenport from the Titans on coming up in the 9 o'clock hour and get his thoughts on Will Levis being limited yesterday 
with an ankle injury. Yeah, Battle for Atlantis this announced yesterday. Indiana basketball going to be part of that. That's going to be next November 27th through the 29th, so maybe the show will go down there during Thanksgiving. I'm sure they'll want to send all three <laughs> yeah, of us down there to uh, cover IU and see who else is going to be a part of it. Arizona, Creighton, Davidson, Gonzaga, West Virginia, Louisville, and Oklahoma, the eight teams. So again, Mike Woodson scheduling, scheduling, scheduling in the non-conference. Pretty good job, Battle for Atlantis. Speaking of college basketball tonight at Hinkle, it's a blue out. It will be Butler against Texas Tech. Uh, Butler a slight favorite in this one. Texas Tech 5-1 and one on the year. So important one for the Bulldogs as they had a pretty nice tournament down in Florida last week. Again, tomorrow night, Big Ten play opens up for both Indiana and Purdue. For the Hoosiers, it will be Maryland. Will we have a... Halftime, new football coach, take the mic at the basketball game moment for Indiana tomorrow. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't think they get it done that quick. Okay. It's going to be the game after. I have to look up the schedule. I'm going to say no. So we won't get that with IU and Maryland tomorrow night. Again, a 7 o'clock tip. Maryland, not good on the season. Purdue is at Northwestern. Obviously not a lot of size for the Wildcats, but Boo Booey, a really good guard. And Brooks Barnheiser, the Lafayette native, has had a very nice season for Northwestern there. So Purdue's first true road game of the year. Did you happen to see him North Carolina-Tennessee last night, by the way? Carolina beat Tennessee, right? Yeah, they beat them there up like 30 in the game, and it got down to single digits. They won by eight, but this this Connect guy from uh, Dalton Connect. Right, Indiana really wanted him in the pool. Oh, yeah, this dude's a baller, man. Have you seen this guy play? I watched him against Purdue, uh, and dude, he, he certainly had some moments. Uh, dude, he dropped 37 last night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this guy's good. Yeah, I think he would help out where Indiana is. That's good. Uh, and then the Pacers are in action tonight. They are a slight underdog against the Miami Heat. Again, Jimmy Butler questionable with an ankle injury. It's a 7.30 tip, by the way, tonight. 8 o'clock tip on Saturday. Again, two games in Miami and three nights before the Pacers return home to Gamebridge Fieldhouse for that quarterfinal game against the Boston Celtics. The latest on Jalen Smith. We'll toss that Scott Agnes's way. Coming up next. Hey, appreciate you guys waking up with us. It's the Wake Up Call. KB and Andy Scott Agnes going to join us here in just a second. Reminder, as always, you miss any of the show, any of the shows here on The Fan, check us out, 1075thefan.com. KB's got some articles up there as well. I have my weekly power rankings. Check out all that on the website. Download the app and take us, stream us anywhere uh, in the world. Absolutely free or go again to 1075thefan.com. All right, let's go on to the Payless Look. Hotline. Scott Agnes joins us. Fieldhouse Files going to talk some Pacers with him. Scott, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Well, good. I'm happy that you're doing well. I'm sure the players are doing well in Miami. Going to be a fun couple days to see how the Pacers bounce back. Uh, Let's start here. I asked Tony East this yesterday. We'll ask you this today. Are you glass half full or empty with this team right now? Nine and seven? Definitely not a bad record, but over the first month of the season, there's no doubt they've given away some games at home as well. Yeah, I think for me, it's about right where they expected. I kind of figured they'd be a 500 team for the season, and so that's about right where they're at. Now, from a team standpoint, it's got to be a little disappointing, I think, about what they've done. And I say that because they had a favorable schedule to start. 11 of their first 16 at home already had one huge homestand. And at home, they're just six and five. And that's that'd be just fine if that was a road record during a road-heavy stretch. But you'd really 
like to have much more wins during that stretch. And we saw at least two or three of those games that they kind of tossed away, um, especially this last one, which was totally unacceptable and disappointing. But, um, yeah, and so now, now at least while the weather tone is cold here, they're down in Miami for four days. Scott, the latest on Jalen Smith is what? Yeah, so it's it's more than was originally diagnosed. The night of the game, they announced he went out with a left heel contusion, also known as a bone bruise uh, or a bruise. Um, and in addition to that, uh, there's a bone bruise in his left knee. He is not with them in Miami. Um, I've seen bone bruises and kind of a knees take be very different for guys. Some will be just a week. Some could be three or four weeks. There's no timeline for him to return, but he's staying back. Um, and Oscar Shibway, who's on a two-way deal, is kind of your emergency big joining them in Miami as needed. And then did I see Isaiah Jackson is questionable for tonight with an illness? Because I'm trying to think, okay, it's Bam Adebayo. You know, it's not like Miami has a 7-1 menacing center, but Bam obviously is a great player. But, you know, if you've got to go to your bench, how would you see that big man rotation playing? Like, could Jarris Walker factor in? Yeah, there's a number of ways they could do it. We've seen early in the season, even Obi Toppin getting the occasional minutes at the five. Jarris could be, but I mean, this it'd be a lot for him right now. That's a big reason why I don't think you've seen him a ton. Is just there's there's a lot there and a lot of growth that the coaching staff still wants to see from the Pacers lottery pick. But yeah, technically Isaiah Jackson questionable. It's an upper respiratory infection illness is basically right what that is uh tj mcconnell also technically questionable with a uh sore right hamstring and then for the miami heat bam out at bios he's probable tyler heroes out um hayward highsmith questionable and jimmy butler questionable so <laughs> i guess to be determined with all that right yeah who's gonna play <laughs> we have no idea who's actually gonna play how big of a deal is jalen going out i mean a double digit score about 15 a game can stretch the floor a little bit i, I followed oscar Shibway at kentucky the guy can rebound at an elite level i'm not sure he can do that in the nba defensively he was a mess in college basketball last year could not guard pick and roll defense whatsoever Plus, he's about 6'6". I mean, that's about what Oscar is. So, you know, with them having to move some things around, Isaiah Jackson being questionable, how big of a deal is this this weekend when, you know, the team doesn't want to come back 9-9 nine and nine with Boston on Monday? <laughs> right, and it doesn't get any easier right there. Like, that couldn't have been a worse matchup, by the way, coming up for the in-season tournament with Boston. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's sizable. First of all, you, you have a tightened rotation all season from the coaching staff, and, and Jalen is part of that. And so for him to be out, and he, he's definitely had the best and most consistent season of his career. I mean, just the little things. And you can just see it in his confidence level, the way in which he attacks, even going to get rebounds. He's been highly efficient from the three-point line. And so him getting your backup center minutes, now being out, uh, it means the biggest thing I think it means is uh, this is Isaiah Jackson's time to shine. You really need to see a lot from him. Um, And I think he's done much better here after the season has gotten going a little bit. He, too, is playing kind of with some renewed confidence. I think him being in year three is about the time when you'll start to see these guys, especially bigs, emerge and and really show who they are, not be overwhelmed by – 
the moment or the situation or the bigger minutes or anything like that. Um, you really stop overthinking. That's kind of the conversation I had with Isaiah over the weekend. Um, was just he's, he's not overthinking. He knows exactly what he needs to do and where he needs to do. Now it's about executing. And then in terms of Shibway, if we do see him, I do think rebounding will translate. But you're very limited, I think, in what else he can provide you, especially defensively. But, I mean, we saw Terry Taylor uh, for a couple of years just dominate the glass um, despite being undersized. I think Shibway will absolutely be the same way when he's out there because he just has a nose for the ball, and, and that's exactly what he wants to go and get. But outside of that, I do wonder, you know, if you're throwing him on Adebayo, that sounds mm-hmm. like a rough moment. Um all night. So I think it's it's going to be more by committee, Isaiah Jackson, then there, Obi Toppin, and, you know, you figure it out. At least Aaron Neesmith's back and healthy um, because he can also play anywhere, any position out there. Scott Agnes is with us. You can find his work over at Fieldhouse Files. Again, the Pacers in Miami tonight and Saturday, a 7.30 tip against the Heat. And if you look at the standings right now, Miami just one spot behind Indiana currently 6-7, and seven, respectively, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Scott, Buddy Heald, a month into the season, we've seen him bumped into the starting lineup. Wasn't shooting it great, really, coming off the bench. He shot it very well uh, as a starter. You think he's gotten a little bit more leverage, considering how the Pacers have viewed him back in that starting lineup role, considering he is a free agent, and that contract talks kind of, I guess, stalled out before the start of the season? Yeah, I think this just gives... <laughs> What this does do is gives the coaching staff a ton more to think about, right? And and again, it feels like they're just kind of stuck between two paths right here, right? Like, you need for Matherin for the big picture to emerge, take on more responsibility, have more larger contributions each night. But at the same time, Buddy's a much better player when he's both in the starting lineup and playing next to Tyrese. There's, There's just something special about that. Um, and that's why I think you've seen that, along with the fact that I do believe it's it's, it's Matherin a little bit being penalized for some stuff defensively and, and, and maybe just not completely going to script, I guess, if that makes sense, right, about what this coaching staff's being asked of him. We saw that moment last game where Carlisle called timeout and kind of ripped him and everyone for uh, you know giving up a layup, which starts with Tyrese, to be fair, uh, giving up that layup, but then not sticking to the defensive principles that have been preached consistently for the last um, two weeks. But with Buddy, yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation. And being in a contract year, he's one of those guys that's in his 30s, does he even match your timeline moving forward. Um, I, I think they, they would be very interested in re-signing here. I believe uh, he probably would if the number started with a two um, <laughs> per year on average. That's probably what he's looking at for the most part, um, for at least two or three years. But at the same time, if there's value for a playoff team and he could go contribute, I think that would have a lot of great appeal for for a competitor like he is, a guy that's not experienced the playoffs. Um, and, and so if you're Buddy, maybe you're sitting back um, saying, you know, maybe I would be interested in a contender, see what happens there, then we'll hit free agency and restart this whole thing. I don't know, um, but it's certainly given the Pacers a lot to think about. Scott Agnes with us here, Fieldhouse file, uh, Files, following the Pacers on the Payless Liquors Hotline. You know, I always use the word, I guess it's a crutch, uh, Scott. I use the word worry, and I'm not sure if that's the right word as it pertains to Benedict Matherin, but, I mean, this was supposed to be a guy that you really, really wanted to see make 
the next mm-hmm. step. And you mentioned them being stuck here with, well, the last four games, and I would imagine this weekend you're starting Buddy Healed yet again, that it's they're kind of stuck with narratives, right? Do we go with Benedict? Do we go with Buddy Healed? And, I mean, now you can't trade Buddy. I mean, you can't do that with the way Matherin's playing. Is it worry? Well, what should be the analysis, the level-headed analysis around what we have seen offensively and defensively from Matherin thus far? Yeah, and to be fair, I think there's been some growth. There's been some good things that he's shown. Number one probably being that he, he's keeping his head up. He's looking more for teammates uh, on on drives and within the offense and, and those sort of things. Because before, you could just tell how he, how he had grown up and always been the most dominant player on the court. He'd get the ball, head down, dribble, attack, get fouled, and try to go to the line. At least that was the plan. And so now I think it's more within the flow of the offense – um, there's still some times where you, you know he'll miss an open defender or, or not make the right pass or or is loose with it or whatever. Uh, defensively, like most of the roster, to be fair, is a whole different issue, and they have the league's worst defense and have to improve upon that. So I think the level-headed analysis in that is one: you realize, hey, he, he he'd be just a junior in college right now, still young. You, you like that you've seen some positive things, but you really urge and you, you want him to, to step up to the plate more than he has just yet. Can Scott Agnes with us here, Fieldhouse File. Scott, last one for me. It's a little bit more of a big picture question, but I think Tyrese Halliburton has had the start to the season where that conversation, um, it, it, it's fine to have it. If he gets an all-NBA team uh, spot, so that's one of what, yeah. you know, 15 of those spots that increases his contract pretty significantly, correct? Yes, absolutely. It'll go from somewhere around a 207 million total for five years to 260, <laughs> um, just by qualifying for one of those three teams. So he has a significant <laughs> reason to want to make that team. You're wow. talking, you know, 50, 50 some million right there. So 50 some million over five years. Um, and that total to be clear, yeah, you're right, right, right. Total, yeah. That is chosen. Do they chose uh, choose two guards for each team, or how does that work? Yeah, yep. There's two guards. So it is positional selections voted on by about a hundred media members from across the world. Wow. Do you wow, guys, wow, wow. Do, do both of you remember who the player, I was looking it up because when you when you mentioned that, it was, uh, there was a player who lost out on $39 million because they were snubbed all NBA team a couple years ago. Do you remember who it was? Either one of you? Well, the one last year was John Morant. It was John Morant, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, John, yeah. John Morant lost 39 mil. Some might say that's a good thing. Well, and then he lost money for other reasons. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> yeah, he's lost a lot of and money. A, and a lot more. Yeah, and yeah. a lot more. I saw One of his first games back is going to be against Indiana later, l- later in December, I'm pretty sure. I think it is. It might be the first game back. Uh, last one for me as well. Scott Agnes with us, Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, you wrote about it, just a blurb on Fieldhouse Files, and I've been doing some listening and some reading on this. I'm interested. What do you make of Mark Cuban selling his majority stake, but supposedly uh, still being able to make decisions there with the Mavericks? Yeah. Oh, it's very interesting, especially, too, just because of the local angle. And I think the fact that he's kind of one of the, the most outgoing and faces for ownership just in pro sports in, in North America here. But here's how I read into it. This is not there's not a ton of unique insight to this, but seeing him on Shark Tank, seeing him run the Mavericks, I, I think he's a guy that is he's smart in knowing what he doesn't know. And I think he sees 
the possibility, especially in a massive city like Dallas, which I think is like the fifth largest now, maybe among NBA teams. Um, I think he sees the great possibility for sports gambling. For um, And also on top of that, he really wants a new arena. And so he's sitting back saying, let's combine the two. And so I think he's picturing a massive complex where, um, you know, you have uh, all kinds of uh, a casino. Uh, uh, I, I, KB, I go to Patriot Place where you don't right. just go to New England for football. There's shopping, there's hotels. There, it's That's kind of a new way about owning is it's not just about the team. Even here locally, you talk about that, you got Bicentennial Uno Plaza, you have this Mill Steakhouse and a speakeasy coming just north of the field house. You have the garage. Maybe you'll have an apartment or hotels uh, just east, or I guess it'd be west of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I think that's the next level of ownership. It is interesting how much that he's selling a majority stake in the franchise. I've seen various accounts where he have the be the primary governor mm-hmm. or the alternate governor, which is significant. It means you know, kind of who represents the franchise um, at at league meetings. It does sound like he retains basketball control, but. Uh, yeah, this is this is significant because of his outgoing voice and presence for owners across the league. And also, is this a new way of thinking about it, a bigger way and in, in involving sports gambling? And down there, why it's significant for this casino is it's not legal just yet in Texas. So by doing this, they they think lobbyists can really push this forward and then open up what I'm sure is some kind of billion-dollar market down there in Texas. Scott, good stuff, man. Again, the Pacers and Heat in action tonight, 7.30 tip. Our coverage will begin at 7 o'clock. And obviously, Scott's latest on Fieldhouse Files. Scott, have a good one, man. Likewise. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll get back to a little Colts conversation. And then coming up at 9, more on the in-season tournament. Evan Walsh, one of the creators of the in-season tournament from the NBA, he joins us to answer some of the questions you guys have thrown our way. We'll do that here in about 10. Going to give you a Jonathan Taylor update here in just a second. I, I don't know about you. I was uh, on Instagram during the break. Uh, you follow the Pacers on Instagram by any chance? I don't know if you do or not. I think I do. Okay, yeah. well I, uh-huh. I do. Uh, among other people, which we, which is an entirely different segment that you know maybe during July. And Woo! they they asked they asked the guys a question of the day: How many unread text messages do you have? Tyrese Halliburton has 1,045 unread messages. Buddy Heald has nearly 1,500. That Well, first off, I, I obviously <laughs> am nowhere near that popular. Second second off, that just stresses me out. Oh, I want as few of notifications as possible. I know someone who, who legit had like 40,000, 50,000 unread emails. Right now, I've got one. <laughs> I have zero. I, I'm with you. Whenever I see that little number pop up to something, I got to see what it's all about. But Matherin said he had 25,000 um, uh, messages. Uh, that can't be true. That's got to be like messages and the WhatsApp and everything else. Is your phone going to explode at that point? How many people are texting you? Yeah, 25,000? Obviously, you're not very good at getting back to people either. I mean, no kidding. My God. Uh, Jonathan Taylor update. Yesterday, finally heard from Shane Steichen. Uh, what did you make in all uh, as the Colts just kind of sit back and wait now 24 hours since JT had his surgery yesterday? Yeah, I would encourage people if they missed the Will Carroll interview we had on yesterday. I thought Will explained it pretty well on exactly what Taylor's going through. The surgery, Dr. Stephen Shin the doctor on that but basically from Shane Steichen yesterday uh, what we learned was this um, John the Taylor is going to miss time it is his right hand uh, injury reserve is not something that's being discussed right now and it sounds like they're going to keep it in house 
in terms of how they make up for Taylor. Now, a question I asked, you know, Shane was okay. What about trying to, you know, bandage this up because mm-hmm. he did play in the second half on Sunday, and the question becomes, you know, where he's at in pass protection, where he's at from a ball security standpoint. Those were the two things that Shane mentioned. I, I think it's easy, Andy, to fall into the macho man. Oh, just you know, tape oh, it sure. up, man. Yeah. Guys play through worse than that. He has one fumble. And people are freaking the you know what out. It's because Why it's a, the hell it's is he a on the field? It's just simply because it's a thumb. For sure. and because That's he the played, only reason. And because he played through it. Sure. Which I'll steal the Baker Mayfield quote from after the game because Baker played through something on Sunday. Adrenaline's a hell of a drug. I mean, you see guys oftentimes play through, have an injury in game, play through it in game, and then all of a sudden, the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday thereafter, it blows up to the point where, oh boy, he's going to miss time. So I think this is one of those injuries that kind of falls into that category. Yeah, we'll see how long uh, we'll see how long he's out. Again, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. To me, it really affects what we may see in that Pittsburgh game. Evan Wash is going to join us, the executive vice president of basketball strategy and analytics. KB, the smartest guest we've ever had on the air. The smartest <laughs> guest we have ever had. Evan Wash from the NBA explaining the in-season tournament. He joins us next. Yeah, thanks for joining us. 9 o'clock hour. KB and Andy hanging out with you in the DriveHubler.com studios. Miss A the show. You can always find us and stream us 1075thefan.com. Reminder as well, Teron Davenport, ESPN.com, will join us coming up at about 940. We'll talk some Tennessee Titans with him. All right, so we're interested in this, obviously, on Monday. It's going to be Pacers and Celtics in the in-season uh, tournament. The Pacers, we have seen both Carlisle and Halliburton be very vocal, KB, on how much uh, they want to win this, how much they not only want the money, national TV and everything else. And uh, one of the brains, maybe the brain behind the entire thing, Evan Wash joins us from the NBA. He's the executive vice president of basketball strategy and analytics. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Evan, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I have your bio here. It's about six paragraphs. Uh, but instead of me reading it, what exactly besides the in-season tournament do you do for the NBA? Let's start there. Yeah, so uh, I, I run a group that's focused on how we improve the game on the court. So everything from the schedule to the rules to innovations like the play-in tournament and the in-season tournament, looking at how we use technology uh, to ultimately create you know the best product for our fans and you know keep players, teams, and, and fans engaged throughout the season. So when did the conversation around this tournament start? What have been those conversations? What has the buy-in been? And I guess how much work has went into trying something new in a league like the NBA, something different? Yeah, this has actually been a, a process that's, that's played out really over a decade. I think the first iterations of concepts of mid-season or in-season tournaments, you know, came up like, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, even predating my time at the NBA. And the idea was always, is this op- is there an opportunity to create this second championship that sits alongside the Larry O'Brien in our season and creates an opportunity for players, teams, fans to chase something, raise a trophy, um, build legacies and celebrate something at a different part of the season. And it was it was part of conversations around all types of innovations that, that we've considered for the season, including the play-in tournament. And I'd say things really accelerated a few years ago when we came out of um, the bubble season and, and put in the play-in tournament and saw some great success for that. When there was a renewed energy to explore 
you know, what was then a mid-season and now in-season tournament concept. And uh, took the last few years to kind of figure out exactly what that right format would be that we were ultimately able to put in place this year. And and so far, the, the feedback's been incredible. As, you know, as you mentioned, players are really excited about this. Coaches are excited. Um, fans have really bought in during the group stage. So I think it's exceeded our expectations so far, and we're really looking forward to the knockout rounds. Again, he's Evan Wash, as Mark Dykton said after Evan uh, answered the call. Mark said, boy, this guy sounds really smart. And I would say that kind of backs up from the bio standpoint of what we're hearing. So, Evan, congrats on that. Granted, we have probably a low bar of intelligence. Evan, you're the smartest guy we've had on the air. I mean, come on. You have MIT and engineering in your bio. Let's go. That can't be true. <laughs> <laughs> he is the executive VP of basketball strategy and analytics for the NBA. Evan, in as simplest terms as you can, because I, I really don't think it's that confusing. Granted, I am kind of a World Cup nerd, so I feel like it kind of follows a little bit of the World Cup. You've got a group stage, and now we're about to start the knockout round coming up on Monday. But as best you can, for our audience out there that's like, all I see is a different color floor, and I have no idea what's going on. What is the in-season tournament? Yeah, so our, our tagline is 30 teams compete, eight advance, and one is crowned the champion. But um, if, if that's a little too high level for folks, you know, what we did is we, we created a two-round tournament where we took a, a series of regular season games, four games per team, and designated, designated those as tournament games, and that, those were all played within teams' groups. So teams were placed in groups of five. They play each of the other teams in their group one time each on the Tuesdays and Fridays in November. And then the results of those four games determined the winner of each group. So there were three groups per conference, as well as one wild card team, which was the second place finisher in each conference that had the best overall record. And those eight teams, four per conference, have now advanced to the knockout round. So obviously Indiana was the winner of Group A in the Eastern Conference by going 4-0. And those eight teams will now play a, a straight knockout tournament, which is the, the second stage of the, of the tournament. And that kicks off on uh, Monday with, with uh, quarterfinal doubleheaders on Monday, Tuesday. And then the four winners of those games head to Vegas for an NBA version of a, a Final Four, where the semifinals will be played next Thursday, December 7th, and the championship game on December 9th. And all of the games count towards regular season records, standing, statistics, all those things, with the exception of the championship game, which sits separate from uh, from the regular season calendar. For a team out there like the Pacers that fall into the, okay, you've got Boston in the quarterfinal game, and Pacers fans are saying, well, our schedule's harder because now you know we're playing Boston and we're going to be maybe playing the Bucks or something like that. W- what would be the response to that? So we talked a lot about this as part of the, the planning stages, and you know, in some iterations we didn't have – these knockout games counting as regular season games. And so, for example, we would have teams just playing 80-game regular season. Uh, there were some concerns around for the teams that didn't advance to the knockout rounds that they might end up with an eight-day break then while these other teams played out their knockout round games. Teams were rightfully concerned both about the business and basketball impact of that, uh, getting out of rhythm over those eight days, et cetera. And so we built back in the two added regular season games for teams that don't advance. But once you do that, of course, you need a way for the teams that are playing the knockout rounds to get their regular season games in. And so it made sense to count those knockout games as, as in-season tournament, as, as regular season games, excuse me. And so then we had the conversation that you just raised of, well, doesn't that potentially negatively impact those teams because their schedules get harder? Um, and on the one hand, sure, it, it sort of marginally increases the, the strength of schedule, but you're talking about two over 82, right? So in general, team schedules aren't exactly balanced each year. We rotate 
which teams within your conference you play three or four times So it, in, in a given year. So it might be the case that a team in a given year, the teams they play four times are on average stronger or weaker uh, than, than the rest of the conference. And so there's always a little bit of variance anyway. So we weren't too concerned with those two games. And then the last piece was we saw some social media chatter that you know somehow teams should have avoided advancing to the knockout rounds so as not to have these harder games. But, of course, the way you would avoid advancing to the knockout rounds would be to lose your group play games. And so from our perspective, it didn't make a whole lot of sense that a team would want to lose one game just to get a possibly easier matchup uh, in, in a later one. So we think the incentives on, on balance you know, worked out, and obviously teams were really excited about this. So I think that the player and team behavior you know, fighting for these knockout round spots really validated that um, despite that potentially harder schedule, um, it was worth it to them. He's the smartest guest in the history of the show. He is Evan Walsh, Executive VP of Basketball and Strategy and Analytics for the NBA, explaining the in-season tournament with us here. Uh, Evan, any tweaks that you're looking at for year two? The Pacers, honestly, they were so good in the group play. Point differential didn't matter, or at least we didn't really focus on it here in this market. I know that was a lot of the chatter earlier this week, though. Uh, Any tweaks we can expect moving into next year? Um, I can say with a high degree of confidence there will be some tweaks. Uh, exactly, exactly what they are, I think it's too early to say. What we plan to do once the, the tournament fully concludes is really sit down with, with all of our stakeholders, our players, our teams, our media partners. We'll do you know extensive fan studies and really understand that as, at a, as deep a level as we can how everything went. Everything from the schedule to the format, the tiebreakers, the point differential, the courts, the um, the the. Uh, you know, educational opportunities. We like one thing we learned, for example, on Tuesday night was it, it would have been incredibly helpful to have a, a live standing bug for fans because as the point differential was changing every minute, it was you know hard for fans to keep track of who was in the lead for the group for the wild cards. And so that's something we want to build for next year, which isn't necessarily a tweak to the tournament, but just a, a better way for fans to engage with that. So we'll look at all sorts of those things. The point differential obviously has. Um, you know, some proponents and some opponents based on uh, there's the excitement factor of not knowing who's going to advance and every basket mattering. But of course, there's also the competitive uh, integrity, the sportsmanship side of it. So we'll talk about all those things. And, and as I said, I, I would I would um, be, be confident that something will change. But exactly what that is, it's, I think it's too early to say. For people that don't know, we talked about it. I, I know Billy Donovan was whining because the Celtics played all their players uh, in a in a blowout, but they needed to win by 23 to advance. They fouled Andre Drummond, who missed a bunch of free throws. who shoots like 47% from the line. I, I, I don't know, as you being, you know, this is kind of your brainchild. You, you, I don't know, you had to be at least a little bit happy that a team like the Boston Celtics is taking this so seriously. They want to win by that many points so they can move on. They didn't just mail it in and win by 15. They needed to win that game so they could get these, uh, so they could advance in the in-season tournament. I mean, that had to at least make you smile a little bit, did it not? They're taking this seriously. It absolutely did. We had um, we had a, a live, you know, Zoom meeting a bunch of among a bunch of um, NBA uh, staff during the games on Tuesday night as we were putting out content and working on different scheduling scenarios for the quarterfinals and regular season games based on which teams advance. So we were all getting a kick out of um, what we were seeing across all of the games, frankly. You mentioned Boston, but uh, New York had an incentive to run up the score against Charlotte, uh, Cleveland against Atlanta, Brooklyn against Toronto. So you had all these games where teams had this incentive, not just to win, but but in some cases to win by a specific margin, and others just to win big um, to maximize their chance of advancing. 
And I think that that one in particular, it just it just takes a little time for the mindset shift because obviously throughout the history of the NBA, the only thing that has mattered in any game is the results. Do you win or lose, right? And so having to win by specific margins or having to win big is a new concept. And I think for some players and teams and even fans that that they viewed that as sort of a drawback and that's okay. But I think once you change the mindset to say the competitive outcome I'm seeking here is not just a win, it's a win by 23. It just sets a new bar. And if you look at international competitions, you know, not just soccer with goal differential, but even the FIBA world cup where point differential has been used as a tiebreaker for a long time as well. Um, you know, players adjust and, and teams adjust pretty quickly. And you start to see, you know, that, that every basket matters competition uh, throughout. And, and that's, that's great. And so, for example, one stat that we loved was um, the first night of group play that we had had the lowest average score margin hmm. of any night of NBA basketball in hmm. seven years. Wow. Which to me suggested that not just were, team, were teams competing at a high level, even when they were losing, they wanted to make sure that they kept the game close because they knew point difference would matter later on, right? And so it's working to some extent, but obviously – there are some some potential downsides, so we'll talk about all that. Very, very interesting stuff right there. That one I, I find really interesting, that last point from Evan Wash. Get Evan Wash, he is the executive VP, basketball strategy and analytics for the NBA. Evan, not sure if you will be in Indy for the All-Star game coming up in February. If you are, though, safe travels here. Enjoy your time, and hopefully we can catch up again. Absolutely, and good luck to the, the Pacers in the knockout, and uh, looking forward to Indy in February. Thanks, Evan. That is Evan Walsh yeah, right stuff. there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We're nerding out on a Thursday morning. That is really interesting. That you know, the first night of the group stage games, you had your lowest margin of any. That's wow. That that um, that's fascinating to me. Again, Pacers and Celtics, seven thirty tip on TNT. That will be obviously we'll have our radio coverage Monday. For those that want Chris and Quinn and JJ and the normal Bally crew, it will also be on Bally. So locally, you know, I know some people. Uh, don't necessarily want to hear the TNT national broadcast crew, you will get your local flavor on Monday there, and then we'll see how the rest of next week plays out. Pacers win. They go to Vegas. They lose. They'll have two more games. Uh, They could be at home. They could be on the road. That is still up in the air. You know, strength of schedule-wise, well, two things. Number one, strength of schedule-wise, I think it was Tony East yesterday mentioned to us how now they'll have to play the Celtics five times this season. Uh Uh, So that's number one. Uh, That's the main. Listen, that's the main thing. Listen, beat Boston Monday night. Uh, It's okay to face the Boston Celtics. The second thing is, given that the game's on TNT, you're going to get the Charles Barkley treatment. I ask you this, Kevin Bowen and Mark Dykton. On Tuesday, and I think Mark's going to be in Disney, uh, but on Tuesday, will this show be playing sound from Charles Barkley that is either nice about the Pacers in Indianapolis or something mean that Charles Barkley has said about the Pacers or the city of Indianapolis? (laughs) If it looks anything like the first matchup with Boston, it won't be too, too nice, but I tend to think the Pacers will respond well. I mean, hell, they've played their best basketball this year in the in-season tournament games. Right. And I'll, you know, echo something I said earlier in the week. Andy, it's been nearly five years since they've hosted a playoff game. Five years. I mean, we're not used to that length of time without hosting a playoff game in this town. And I think Monday's atmosphere will be about as close to it as you're going to get in that time span. And I think it's vital for this team to experience that. I think it's really cool for the fans to get that. You're going to get meaningful football inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, albeit just one home game in the month of December. Uh, But you'll get two big ones in January, theoretically. 
and then obviously that Pacers game on Monday. So I view it as this is a needed experience for a team that's trying to take the next step. I don't think he, anything Charles says, even if he's critical, is going to be as bad as what he said about the San Antonio <laughs> yeah. women. Oh, that was brutal. That's what, that's what I and He said it like 19 times. He might have, come February, he might have <laughs> an all-star game comment or two about, wait, we're going to Indy? We're going to Indy? Yeah. I would not be surprised if that's the case. To be fair, case. I don't know if the nightlife in Indy will be able to handle the NBA world, but <laughs> nonetheless, we'll give it our best effort coming up here. I mean, that might have to be February. one of those I've told you that, you know, I have to tell the wife, you're, you're staying home with little gas tonight. You know, I'm uh, I'm going hey to I'm going to be out and about Indianapolis. I mean, this is the NBA All Star Weekend. As long as you, you know? don't get a hotel room here downtown, <laughs> as long as you get back to Irvington, it's only a ten minute drive. At you know, a decent hour. <laughs> I know uh, Matthew from Maine has been hanging oh, in wow. there quite a while from us. And if I'm not mistaken, Andy, we've is he got really from Maine. We've got the IU women in action in Maine tonight. Oh, wow. Matthew, tell us more. Are you are, are you heading to watch Terry Bourne and Mackenzie Holmes tonight? Yes, I am. I will I will be there this evening. Now, Mackenzie Holmes, IU legend, for those unfamiliar, um, she is a Maine native. Uh, any idea, Matthew, on the number of tickets for <laughs> Mackenzie Holmes for tonight? I believe it's going to sell out. How, how big is the venue? I think it's 7,000, but don't quote me on that. 7,000. Now, Andy, hmm. do you recall this in the past that they used to, I want to say it was North Carolina, maybe with Roy Williams, uh, and I think maybe even Izzo did this, where you'd get a recruit from a city or a state, and you would guarantee that recruit that at some point in your four years right. will play a game in your home city or state. I think that's kind of what Terry Moore has done here with Mackenzie Holmes. I think that's a really, really cool gesture there and makes total sense to me how can i just yeah go ahead sorry go ahead sorry and this is an even more special game so it is a neutral site game technically speaking portland is about two hours south of the university of maine's home campus in orono but portland is where mckenzie played her high school basketball state championships because that's where every high school plays Oh, interesting. So this is obviously a bigger venue than if you were playing on Maine's campus. That's awesome. Matthew, as always, great to hear from you. Enjoy the game tonight. And again, Andy, I think that's kind of a cool thing that, you know, obviously IU is doing for, um, you know, a player that will go down in, in, in history of that program. And I get the college basketball landscape has changed a whole lot, but I always enjoyed when you saw some college coaches try to do that with, again, players that are there for you know three or four years yeah it's hard it's hard in the men's game just because so many guys are just you know one year one i guess zach Eady and purdue are, you know they're kind of doing that yeah. this year no that would be a good one with the game in toronto can i be angry that portland maine is basically the same temperature as we are oh god like i just looked that up i was gonna ask him hey uh it's got to be what negative 15 there oh it's got to be five degrees there dude it's like 38 degrees there at least we've got the sun out. <laughs> I mean, at least we had the sun out, but, you know, I mean, come on. It's supposed to be four degrees there. We're supposed to laugh at Matthew in Maine. Uh, he, he all bumbled, no. bundled up with his thermal underwear. You know, not, what are we doing here? Not at all. Butler and Texas Tech, by the way, here locally tonight at Hinkle. Again, a blue out 
for the Bulldogs as they take on Texas Tech. And then we'll get Big Ten play started. I had a Purdue fan reach out to me earlier in the week. I kind of poo-pooed, I guess, Purdue opening up with Northwestern. Uh, and he mentioned that he's very worried about oh, at Northwestern. No. Purdue, I'm trying to think if it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago. Purdue gets ranked number one. Then they lose at Rutgers that very, I think it was the very next game. Maybe it was Rutgers at Mackey, now that I'm thinking about it, with, uh, what's his name, Ron Harper Jr., who I thought could play in the NFL. Hit a shot to beat Purdue. Your level of concern for number one ranked Purdue on the road tomorrow. Zero. At the beautiful Welsh Ryan Arena. I will say ESPN's matchup predictor has Purdue at 64.2%. That seems kind of low, does it not? What would that equate to in a spread? Are we I talking no like idea. Purdue's like a seven-point favorite? Oh, they got to be more than that. Please. Please have Purdue be a seven-point favorite on the road at Northwestern. Please. Little gas would be going to school. For, he'll be an MIT for free. What kind of grade do you think you could get if you had to take an MIT class with Evan Wad? Oh, I'd, I'd be <laughs> I'd be on the Jake Query path to college graduation there. Yeah. I knew a guy who never took over a 200-level class in college and somehow weaseled out with a degree. How about that? Never did a three- or a 400-level class his entire time, four years in college. A reputable college that I will not name. Does MIT have a football program? Can Indiana try and hire the MIT football coach? Well, no, they have the JMU coach who will be next, so we, we shall see. How would you rank those three? Jason Candle, Toledo, Paul Chris, Wisconsin, Kurt Signetti, James Madison. If you had to pick from those three, those are the three reported finalists of Zach Osterman. You would go. I guess we haven't talked about Candle a lot. Been at Toledo for a long mm-hmm. time. Toledo's probably been the class of the MAC uh, in his tenure there. Um, Man, I just don't know anything about Jason Candle. I, I almost don't want to even like fake it that I I just don't know anything else about Jason Campbell. Uh, or Candle. Now he is he is forty four. We did the age thing, so he's nineteen years younger than Signetti. We did, you know, we talked about that. You know, is Signetti being what 62, 63 years old? Is he a little bit too old? He gets the program up, and then obviously he's going to want to walk away and go do something with his life other than football. I, I would probably have Candle third, but that's unfair just because I haven't. I've seen very little Toledo football over the years, so I'd go Signetti one, Chris two, probably. I guess I'm not as down on Chris as I was maybe last week. Do you have is that the, unfair? Is that the Texas open-mindedness? No, to I it? don't know. I, I, I don't just know. feel, and I don't know if this is a fair way to assess Paul Chris, but don't you think there was a little bit of he was born on third base with the Wisconsin job? Well, I agree with that. Like Barry yeah. Alvarez and Brett Bielema had set you up for. It's kind of hard to screw up. We've got the blueprint here. We're in the easier division. Well, look at what Bielema did when he left and went to Arkansas. Right. I mean, he was not half the coach that he was in Wisconsin. God, I totally forgot Bielema's at Illinois. Remember the pictures of Bielema just with his gut out, walking around? And wasn't Mrs. Bielema oh, some, yeah. somebody we wanted to search? <laughs> the two top searches was Bielema shirtless and Bielema's wife. If you went to Google about eight years ago and typed in Bert Bielema, and yes, I called him Bert, those would be the two that you would see. Now, I always <laughs> liked when they showed in, in November uh, Santa, Lovey Smith as Santa. Oh, yeah. That was great. I mean, if you went beards, best beards in sports history, which is something that we may do in June, you have to think Lovey Smith is at the very top of the list. Oh, without question. Oh, he looked fantastic. Without question. He looked question absolutely there. fantastic. Uh, pop quiz coming up in a bit here. 317-239-1070. Teron Davenport 
uh, who covers the Titans for ESPN, Stephen Holder's colleague, if you will. Uh, he's going to join us after that. Again, Andy, for our audience that might have missed it yesterday, Will Levis was limited with an ankle injury. Teron Davenport put out a video of Will Levis during practice. Uh, it did not look great at all from a movement standpoint. Um, if a quarterback practices at all on a Wednesday, they're usually good for that Sunday. So I still assume it'll be Will Levis. And honestly, if you're a Colts fan, you want Levis, right? You don't want Tannehill? I think, Tannehill's the backup, by yeah, the way. Malik Willis is QB3. Yeah, I think you want Levis, I think, especially if he's What about the deep ball hampered? part of him? Because that, you know, could you test the Colts secondary that even lost Mike Evans at a couple key yeah, moments If, if on you Sunday. go back and you just look at Will Levis and you just type in Will Levis ESPN and you go and you look at his game log, you, you'll, notice, you'll notice a few things. Number one, you'll notice that that Atlanta game is by far his best game. It's his best QB rating. It's his best QBR. He had four touchdowns, no interceptions. One of those was a 61-yard uh, yard bomb to DeAndre Hopkins. And right then, you kind of thought, okay, this guy, he's going to get the ball to someone like Hopkins. And literally since then, I thought he was okay against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh on the road, they made him drop back and pass the ball 40 times. Probably not what you wanted to do, but... Tampa Bay, Jacksonville, and Carolina. He didn't get to 200 yards in those three games. Just two touchdowns and one interception. And I gave you the stats earlier on that if you look at Derrick Henry, it's not like you said, okay, they're running the football now that Will Levis is in the game. Since Will Levis took over, Derrick Henry, 62 yards a game, 3.8 per carry, just three touchdowns in five games. So it's not like Derrick Henry has been good now that Will Levis is in. This is a bad team. They're good at home. That's yeah. basically the analysis. They're it's good wild. At, yeah, they're 4-0 good, at home, yeah, they're good, 0-7 They're good at home. home. They score more at home, but they are a bad football team that probably needs to blow things up. Up. We'll get deeper into this matchup coming up tomorrow. Again, a lot has changed since these two teams met in week five. All right, uh, before we get to the pop quiz in a few, what's morning check down? The morning check down. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor yesterday and today have been uh, basically the focal point. Big discussion with that right thumb injury. Shane Steichen met the media yesterday. Here's what he had to say about JT. I'll start off. Obviously, you guys heard the news about JT. Um, we found out he sustained an injury to his thumb uh, after the game um, Monday evening. Um, he's going to have a surgery done on it. Um, how much time uh, it will be, uh, not exactly sure. Um, but we'll see how the rehab process goes, and hopefully we'll have him back sooner than later. Yeah, if you just look at the Vegas spread, you mentioned this earlier, it's down to a one-point game. That was a, what, a two-and-a-half-point spread, I believe, just 48 hours ago. So the Colts will still be favored, but uh, about one, and we'll see two, three, four weeks how long JT's going to be Ryan out. Kelly did practice yesterday as he tries to get through concussion protocol. Juju Brents, though, did not. That was a walkthrough, to be uh, accurate there. Their first actual practice will come later today. All right, tonight it is 7.30 in Miami. That is a tip time against the Pacers and Heat. Again, right now you look at the standings, 6-7 and seven, right there next to each other. So these are important two games down in South Beach for the Pacers. Thursday at 7.30, Saturday at 8 o'clock. Jalen Smith did not make the trip. Left knee, bone bruise, left heel contusion. Isaiah Jackson, who I thought has played pretty quality minutes for the Pacers when they have needed him this season. 
he has an upper respiratory infection. So he is questionable. So this could be Oscar Sheepway, could be Jarris Walker, could be Obi Toppin. Miles Turner cannot be in foul trouble against Bam Adebayo is probably the moral of that one. Pacers are a two-point underdog as Jimmy Butler is questionable after not playing on Tuesday with an ankle injury. When I say that he's trash, like I, I mean that. <laughs> I was like, Jimmy Butler's always questionable until you get to latter parts of the year. So he's, he's, picturing, emo. he's emo, that's why. I'm so picturing his <laughs> hair. And Did he go to We Grow Hair Indy for his media day picture this year? <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Go back on Twitter and look at that if you haven't seen it quickly. Uh, next year's 2024 Battle for Atlantis. Uh, participants were announced. Indiana, definitely part of that field, along with Louisville, Oklahoma, West Virginia, the Zags, Davidson, Creighton, and Arizona. So uh, Mike Woodson, besides that good Big Ten schedule the last few years, uh, doesn't mind going and playing someone in the non-con, and that's a pretty good lineup. And lastly, Thursday night football tonight, it is Cowboys and Seahawks. They are next to each other in the NFC playoff standings right now, 5-6, and six. Dallas at 5, Seattle at 6, but a two-game gap and a, a big spread tonight. It is a nine-point favorite for Jerry's team going up against... Jack with you today. The Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> and by the way, Shaquille Leonard visited Philadelphia yesterday after Dallas the day before. Sounds like he might take the weekend and then make a decision on where his next stop will be. I know you Settle don't. Down just a little bit. I know. I could hear those all. I could listen to those all day. I know you're not going to know the answer to this, but I'm just throwing it out regardless. Why those two teams? Like, why just those two teams? His agent came out and said, he's got a lot of teams. It's like, okay, it's two teams, but... I assume you only want to go to a playoff team. So that narrows the field a little bit. History with Nick Sirianni, obviously, and the Eagles. Dallas, a similar defensive system, I think. And maybe I'm grasping at straws a little bit here, but... And they have the Leighton Van Der Esch injury. I think that probably plays into some of that as well. Get your damn act together. (laughs) All right, Teron Davenport from ESPN in about 10 minutes to talk to Titans. Pop quiz is next. Give us a call, 317-239-1070. All right, pop quiz time. Reminder, Teron Davenport, ESPN, going to join us. We'll talk some Titans football in about 10 minutes. Let's go. I'll give you the chance. What number caller do you want to go with, KB? Uh, let's go with what's Butler on the year. Five wins, I think they've got. Let's go with number five. Mark. Mark him. Not hey, me. Mark. Another Mark. Hello, guys. Mark, how you doing? Doing good. Mark, we usually have a guy that's a little crazy that calls in named Mark. Are you that guy? Not at all. Okay, all right. This is uh, sane, Mark. This is, is sane, Mark. Yeah. Is that the right way to say it here? All right, Mark. Well, we appreciate your your call. We're kind of up against it here, so this is one of the shortest pop quizzes I have ever seen. It really is from Scotty. That doesn't mean it's easy, though. Uh, Andy, throw number one. It kind of made me think: Is this even Scotty's? Did he have? Did he? Did he? You know, have someone else do this? Yeah. That made, that's what it made is me. Scotty, think. okay? Is he okay? All right, question number one, Mark. Let's turn down go. your radio, Mark. Turn the ra- yeah, turn the radio down. There you go. Question number one. All right, how's this? Perfect. Sound much better. Who is the Colts' leading rusher this season? Is it Zach Moss, Jonathan Taylor, Anthony Richardson, Tracer? It is Zach Moss. Look at that. All right, number two here, Mark. Thursday Night Football, Seahawks traveling to take on the Cowboys. This will be the 20th regular season meeting between the two teams. Who leads the all-time series? Seattle. You Make sure? Your damn act together. Uh, well, let's play Dallas. 
Mark seems a good guy. I thought it was good to give him the hand yeah, like yeah. that. Help him out. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. All right, question number three, Mark. Who currently leads the NFL in passing yards? Is it Tua, Sam Howell, Josh Allen, C.J. Stroud? Sam Howell. Number four here, Mark. Name the Chicago Cub who is named National League Rookie of the Year on this day in 1961. Mark, how old are you, if you don't mind? I am uh, 55. I was born a little after that. Okay. Well, in 61, who was the Rookie of the Year? Billy Williams, Ken Hubbs, Ernie Banks, or Ron Santo? I would say uh, Billy Williams. Okay, now we're cooking. All right, last one. Mark, did you go to MIT? I did not. What was your institution of choice? Ball State University. Chirp, chirp. Dill Street, baby. (laughs) There you go. Colleen Bowen, pride of Ball State. All right, last one. On this day in 1959, the Los Angeles Rams selected Heisman Trophy winner Billy Cannon of LSU with the top overall pick in the NFL draft. Cannon would not sign with the Rams, becoming the first number one pick to snub the NFL to play in the newly formed American Football League, the AFL, in 1960. Named the AFL team Cannon signed with the Dallas Texans, the Houston Oilers, the Oakland Raiders, the Los Angeles Chargers. The, what was the first one? The Dallas Texans, Houston Oilers, Oakland Raiders, Los Angeles Chargers. Um, I would say the Dallas Texans. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Mark, mm. what was your major at Ball State? Quarter beer nights. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Is Dill um, Street still around, Mark? Finance was the, the true answer. Is Dill Street still around? Do you know? No, it's not. It's it's an apartment building now. They knocked it down. Of course. Oh, of course. course. I've been to Muncie but, once. But, and but, but the chug the will always survive. Yeah, it, no, the, yeah. <laughs> the chug is going to stand the test of time. Uh, incredible effort, Mark. Number one, the Colts leading rusher, indeed, Zach Moss. Uh, see, correct, uh, though. Yeah, Thursday night football, Seattle, Dallas. Dallas leads the all time series in that one. Got that uh, we one get right. We suck on that all week. Jeez, so, wow. Uh, we get to suck on that all week. <laughs> Moving on to three here, although that does sound like a ball stay uh, monthly comment there. Uh, Sam Howell, by the that way. Is correct. Leader passing yards. The Cubs uh, NL Rookie Good of God. the Year, Billy Williams. He got that one right. The number five oh, game. Man. Number five. He really liked that A answer. He I wanted know. to have you say that one again. He went with the Dallas Texans for Reggie Cannon. The answer, excuse me, Billy Cannon. The answer, Houston Ace. Oilers. <laughs> Mark, great effort. Teron Davenport talked. All right, you miss ain't the show. Find it at 1075thefan.com. Go download the free app. Take us uh, wherever you want to take us. From Indy to Indonesia, says the promo. You can listen live, 1075thefan.com or on the app. All right, last segment of the show. Let's jump on out to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Teron Davenport from ESPN joins us. We'll talk some Titans with him. Teron, good morning, sir. How are you? 
Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. How are you guys? Man, we're fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, on this Thursday morning. You tweeted out a short video of Will Levis looking rather hobbled in practice yesterday. Obviously, he's been the starter since that Atlanta game. I guess, what is his status? What do you make of the hobbled nature of the starting quarterback there in Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, he'll probably play. It's more than likely. And it's interesting because earlier in that practice, I was watching him go through his drops and some of the play action things and he didn't seem to have a limp so maybe it's one of those things where you know at that point it was bothering him and it didn't bother him later in practice I don't know we'll find out more about that today but I I don't think there's too much of a doubt that he will start this foot foot injury the ankle that he's dealing with is something that it it started uh, going into last week's game I remember when they had uh, one day, because they shifted the schedule, uh, they went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and skipped Thursday, and they came back Friday. But I remember that Tuesday, it was a light practice, and he actually sat out of that practice. So it's been something that he's been dealing with. Can Teron Davenport with us here from ESPN.com. Teron, um, it seems like for Levis, you know, really nice opener, a little bit more rookie inconsistency since then. Uh, if you were a Colts fan, would you rather see Levis with the deep ball capability given the secondary issues here in Indy, or would you rather see Ryan Tannehill? Well, I mean, I think if you had to pick out of the two, you would, you would probably pick Tannehill because Levis does have the ability to push it down the field a little bit better, and just the way things are flowing is, is a little different. I think that's something um, – Again, like you always have that element of explosiveness with, with him. And one of the things that's interesting, watching him in warm-up and then watching him pregame, he practices throwing off his back foot. So it's almost like he expects to have to do that. And just that ability to throw off the back foot and deliver the ball 40 to 50 yards down the field, that's something that I don't think any defense wants to see. Tron Davenport with us, ESPN, following the Titans. Tron, uh, in a different life, I actually followed. I've seen every snap of Will Levis when he was at Kentucky. And so I was not surprised. I guess I wasn't too surprised that he fell in the draft. I also wasn't surprised against Atlanta when they let him air it out and he, he was able to air it out. And you just mentioned it there. The deep ball is what he is best at I guess what are the early returns five games as a starter what are the Titans better at worse at with him there uh, leading the charge at quarterback well I think they are a little better uh, vertically Um, one of the things that he does a little better than Tannehill is kind of move within the pocket Uh, you see him like climbing it and then sliding and making a throw those types of things Uh, I think those are are the two that they gain and then it's just an air of freshness right you know it's kind of like when you go from your old car to a new car, you just kind of feel better driving it. You know what I mean? And that's sort of the situation that this Titans team is in. And that's not to say that Tannehill was bad because, I mean, there were plenty of other reasons they were losing rather than Tannehill, you know. But it's just there's a refreshing type of uh, vibe that I feel from especially the defensive players, you know. Um, they really feed off of Levis. In fact, Arden Key, he told Levis to, to step up and be more of a leader. And before the Panthers game, Levis was the one that broke him down, you know, and he, he said that, you know, you guys are all dogs and, and it's about time you start playing like them. And it came alive, you know, and they, they were able to break their three-game losing streak. Again, Teron Davenport with us here, covers the Titans for ESPN. Teron, you look back at that first matchup, so much has changed. Obviously, Tannehill and Anthony Richardson started that game. 
and, and I wanted to get into kind of a key personnel thing from that game. The Colts had Grover Stewart, and that is a huge presence of their run defense, and they really yeah. limited Derrick Henry in that game. The Titans did not have a guy by the name of, and, and I say this so Colts fans realize who he is, Tier Tart in the middle of Tennessee's run defense, and the Colts ran all over Tennessee in that matchup. Tart is now back. Could you explain for Colts fans, you know, maybe what he means to their run defense? Because in that Week Five matchup, it almost seemed like that was the part of the game that won it for the Colts. The presence of Stewart stopping Henry, and then obviously establishing it without Tart for Tennessee. Yeah, if you look at those runs, they were able to to kind of dominate up front, and they were getting out up to the linebackers and moving them out of the way. So that was a big thing. The Tier Tar is a guy that he occupies those gaps. He's someone that actually has one of the, the best and most swift swim moves in, in the league. And he's able to, you know, club and swim and get in the backfield and not always tackle the, the running back, but he'll redirect them. And that gives time for other guys to flow to the football and, and make that tackle. And then in addition to that, you know, his, his push-pull is, is really good too. So long story short, He's a guy that will be in the backfield consistently and disrupt plays, and that's something that, that's really big, especially when you're trying to stop the run. Now, uh, another thing that you have to factor, if you go back and watch that long run by Zach Moss, Anthony Richardson, his ability to run the football sure. actually made Kevin Byard get out of position, and that's why his angle was bad because he had to be concerned about Richardson pulling it and running. You don't have that same assignment this time, so that – Big run that Moss had may not have happened, you, you know, w- without Richardson in, in the game. Yeah, again, Moss's numbers just a little bit lower with Gardner Minshew as a starting QB than versus Richardson. It's a great point that Teron makes there on that big TD run. Uh, Teron, I, I feel stupid even asking you the question. Shane Sykin was asked it on Wednesday, and and you know, oh, that's a good question. I, I I don't really know why. Why is Tennessee four and zero at home and zero and seven away from away from uh, Nashville? It's really strange because there's a huge difference. I mean, you look at the scoring, they're averaging 24 points a game at home, 11 points a game on the road. I think there's just something to – some of the guys, like they said, there's a comfort level. They they did say that. Um, others have said, you know, they feel the energy uh, off of the, the fans. I really I, – I don't know. I, I think a lot of it does have to do with the opponents, right? So – they had to go to Cleveland and play one of the best defenses in the league. It's never easy to play in Pittsburgh. They had to do that. Um, but Tampa and, and, you know, Tampa's not something that I really would say, oh, they're a threat. Jacksonville, very good team at home. So you look at that and, and you compare that to Carolina, Atlanta, right? A Cincinnati team with a hobbled Joe Burrow and a Chargers team, and we know how the Chargers are. So I think, if anything, it has the most to do with the opponents. That's that's what it has more to do with than the location. Tron Davenport with us here from ESPN. Tron, I I have to I ask this with a smile, okay? I know you do a little bit of radio with my guy Jared Stillman there in Nashville, okay? Oh uh, yeah, oh boy, and he's the he's the hot take king at times. So I, I'm texting him back and forth this week, and he of course thinks the Colts are going to walk into Tennessee and. Uh, walking to Nashville and they're going to dominate the Titans and he he believes that the Titans after this year need to just blow the thing up and start all over. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well, you know, he tends to approach this thing like a fan. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Um, there's no reason. Now, I tell you something funny, right? So this is we're almost in December, right? So um, September, October, November. Just three and a half months ago, he was saying Mike Vrabel was is, is the best coach in the league. So it, you know, <laughs> we you told me they were going to win ten games, Tron. He said they're yeah. going to win ten games this year. Yeah, and you, you know what? A lot of us did think that. It, you know, a lot sure. of us did think that. So. Uh, I'm not going to knock him for that, but he did call Mike Vrabel the best coach in the league, and, and three months later he's saying he needs to be fired. I think I, I'll just leave that as, as Exhibit A and, and, and move on. <laughs> Teron, last one for me, and I guess it kind of falls into that category. You know, The Colts interviewed Mike Vrabel back in 2018 before they hired Josh McDaniels initially and then went to Frank Wright. Chris Ballard loves him, so Mike Vrabel – I guess, how much chatter is there that Mike Vrabel to New England to follow Bill Belichick is a possibility, if at all? Yeah, there's a lot of chatter, and it's all up there in Boston. <laughs> there's not really any talk of that here in Nashville. The people that I've spoken to said that he is somebody that they want to move forward with, that tandem of, of, of he and Rand Carthon. That's what they that's what they look at as the future. Now, I'll say this, there's six games left, right? So, you know, things could change. We know this league is is very up and down and, and you know, some act on emotions. You saw that last week with Frank Wright, you know, or actually on Monday with Frank Wright getting getting fired. So, um, as of now, it, it's full intention. Mike Vrabel ran Carthon. That Vrabel to the Patriots talk is something that's, uh, you know, not going on here. An owner acting on emotion, something that would never happen here in Indianapolis. I, I, I No, no chance whatsoever. Uh, Teron, as always, we enjoy our conversations a couple times a year. Uh, I, I guess safe travels up here for the Combine in February and looking forward to Sunday. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Appreciate it. You guys take care. That's Teron Davenport right there from ESPN. Again, we'll watch the Will Levis injury situation today at practice. You know, a Wednesday limited for a quarterback tends to be a good sign, but that video was not great yesterday. And Mark Dykton hates to put homework on the plate, but can we get some mayo? I mean, you, yeah. you all, I mean, we got to do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's Friday already tomorrow. We need mayo yeah. and the coffee. Yeah, let's do and it. And Mark, you've got the jar of all jars. Well, that one I think is long since it's <laughs> expired, so I'd have to go to the well, store. I don't think I it matters. Well, I'm really, going to this. So. I'm, honestly, I'm going to the store today. You want you me? Want? I just grab something. Yeah, I'll just grab one. Okay, can we yeah. get maybe a little coffee and some mayo? Well, coffee we can make in the in house here, right? Well, sure, yes, yeah, that is yeah. good. Although I'm that. afraid in the little break room there, does that coffee machine work? It, it, and there's like a listen. Morning, if you're worried about the taste of the coffee with the mayo in the coffee, yeah, you're, don't, I don't, don't think be too you need to be worried about it. Well, do we want anything special like a Chipotle or a or a or a lemon flavored or I just think traditional? We want as traditional as tradition can be. Down the hatch, and it's all going to come up the same. So you know. Oof. Now, Will Levis said yesterday... I know he's prepared my body for it. Andy (laughs) doesn't know what he's getting into. Mark, do you have that clip readily available, the Will Levis Colts interest clip? Oh, yeah. Let me... I had that. Hold on. Uh, Levis asked yesterday about the Colts and the number four overall pick. It's kind of funny. You go back to... You know those for those couple shows during the draft. I remember I kind of changed my tune. I would say probably about a week before the draft is when I was like, no, I I, I think it's going to be Richardson hmm. at four. You know, it was a lot of chatter about Levis. Oh, I mean, so much sure. chatter. I followed this from the other side, right? right from right, the right. Le- from the Levis side, and a lot of my Colts buddies were like, we don't want Levis. Yeah. Like I don't care who we get, but we don't want Levis. 
I mean, it seemed like that was kind of the, I don't know if it was more of the national narrative with it, but Levis at four, and of course, he fell and fell and fell. Here was Will Levis yesterday on the interest from the Colts during the draft. Yeah, I thought they went well, and I thought there was definitely a shot that I would be going there. And I think kind of right up until that draft day, like both uh, Anthony and I were kind of like, it's going to be, we don't, we don't know. And um, and it was, uh, like I, I thought that it was a good chance, but obviously it didn't work out, and uh Luckily, ended up here. Andy, we won't get it on Sunday, but the Will Levis-Anthony Erson matchup last year in college was one that Richardson admits he put way too much pressure mm-hmm. on himself. Richardson was terrible in that game. Levis was better. Uh, Kentucky won that matchup against Florida. Um, but you know, so far in his NFL career, he had the strong debut, and since then, he's very much looked like a rookie. Yeah, you know, in this, I feel like we're going to do more C.J. Stroud versus Anthony Richardson in years to come, don't you? But Will Levis, if he turns into a good quarterback and they win games and let's say they keep Vrabel and they don't blow everything up and they stay on the straight and narrow and they you know turn back to the Titans that they've been the last several years, uh, you throw him in there. All three of those guys are going to be tied at the hip. I guess I don't view that yet with Levis, but Levis has you know twice the number of attempts right now as Anthony Richardson does in the NFL. And by by the way, Colts fans would be, or should be, I should say, rejoicing if Mike Vrabel goes to Foxborough. I think Vrabel's a damn good football coach. Oh, I do too. Oh, I think Vrabel's a very good coach. Now, if he went to New England, uh, that would, you know, that would that would open up the AFC South even more. That would take one of the best coaches uh, right out of it. Did you guys? I know we only have a minute here. Did you guys when when they took Richardson? Was it like, oh, that makes sense, Steichen, Philly, Jalen Hurts? Why did we ever talk about Will Levis as much as we as we did? Was that conversation out there? Because that's how I felt when they took Richardson. I was like, well, of course they did. Look at Philly. Look at Jalen Hurts. Will Levis ain't anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the Steichen presence came more to the forefront of it all. Um, at the same time, there are some Levis qualities that I do think Chris Bauer in particular liked. Um, you know, huge his, arm, huge arm, huge well, arm. And, and you know, toughness factor. I think was a big, big deal. And you know how everything unraveled at Kentucky. You can probably speak to that better in his senior season there. Uh, but I think it was Shane Steichen's voice is being heard, and I think we've seen that through his actions now here, which is a beautiful thing. I think for the Colts organization here uh, since that day in late April. All right, the podcast will be filled. Scott Agnes, Evan Wash from the NBA talking in season tournament, and that conversation right there with Teron Davenport. This time tomorrow, we'll see if there's white smoke from Bloomington. Everybody have a great Thursday. Pacers, heat, 730 tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow.